Ahoy ho ho, it's me, your old pal, Cowboy Kevin. Thanks for checking out this, the third installment of our new side series, The Last Ride. We're going to be looking all over The Undertaker and the WWE's trips down to Saudi Arabia. There's a warning within the episode, but I'd say it right at the start. We're going to be talking about Saudi Arabia and shit like that, so if it's not for you, it's not for you. I can't recommend the episode. But hey, there's a whole load of non-Saudi Arabian content available over at our Patreon page. Patreon.com forward slash a podcast this podcast and all of our podcasts are brought to you entirely by our backers we've got no corporate sponsors it's entirely 100 fan and listener supported and as well as supporting us you'll get access to over 70 episodes of the smackdown crawl where me and adam review all of smackdown episode by episode always a wild ride we're just heading into the run-up to 2001 the royal rumble one of the best times to be watching smackdown of all time as well as that you got video episodes with myself adam and mr billy keeble a new comic review series with adam and billy we got the bibliotech and there will be of course a big chunk of that be given away for free here on the main feed over the festive season if you can't wait until then or you want to get access to all the other goodies head over to patreon com forward slash ae podcast but if you excuse me it's time to podcast so i need my throat injections dead man walking Welcome to the Attitude Era Podcast. Last Ride, Part 1, Part 2, Part the No, no, Part Gone School. And once again, it's me, your old pal, Mean Mark Kevin Man. Joined as I am always in this look back on the twilight years of Booger Red's sad journey towards retirement. I am joined, of course, by always by Soup Bones Bibolo himself, Adam Bibolo. <laughs> This is a really bad one, Kevin. Uh, you're probably you're probably sitting there thinking, like, what was that? My ears just got boxed by by the Undertaker. No, that were just the noises of the best pure audio striker in Podcrabs, Adam Bibolo, coming at you here. We've had Undertober and we had November, but now we are well and truly in December. <laughs> part one, part two. Part three, here we are now. We're in the middle of the journey and we are getting into some territories that's mighty spicy, mighty sad. And I can't believe some of this was two years ago. We're in 2020 at the moment and this this seems like yesterday. Yeah, I can't believe it's already been so long. Like, I know two years isn't the longest amount of time, but this really feels very recent, all the Saudi Arabia dealings. And the DX tag team match in particular, I felt sure that was earlier this year, for instance. It's odd that we so quickly went from an Undertaker that I have very vivid memories of. And I don't think it's just mm-hmm. because you made a video about it and I went off on one on a pay-per-view review about it for How To Wrestling. But better than ever, Undertaker routing John Cena, which was our closing image at the end of the last episode. Mm -hmm. That's one which had stayed with me forever. So when we started looking at this next bit, Adam, I was all eyes and ears because I still don't know how he went from that 
to the guy who was fallen on his head in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I know. It's it's an interesting journey. And speaking of interesting, actually, this is a little confession for everyone because I because I miss my friends with everything that's been going on this year. I've been re-listening to the How To Wrestling pay-per-view reviews they do on Patreon from the beginning, like five years ago, I think you started them. Oh, is that when we overheard you saying that you don't need us at all anymore because you had found some cabbages approximately or shape and were playing old <laughs> podcast content? <laughs> uh, on these pay-per-view reviews, I recently got up to the point of WrestleMania 33, where Undertaker takes on Roman. And it's interesting, in the build-up to that match, you were saying, like, Undertaker's had hip surgery, it's going to be good, like he should be in decent enough shape and that was like him at his absolute worst it turns out at wrestlemania 33 like he only had the one hip done though. yeah he didn't, didn't get both done like you know you can't pass your mot with one tire but then when wrestlemania 34 comes around he genuinely is in like this incredible shape he's got two good working hips and that's not really that long ago like that's only a couple years and we've suddenly gone from him being like better than ever and genuinely looking quite great in the ring to now, like, you know... Well, I do remember a lot of drama around all the Saudi shows. And I will tell you right now, if you're fucking someone who's going to complain about mention fucking Saudi Arabia, just listen to another fucking podcast. Honestly. Right? there'll be... I, I, I had a bit of fun with the t-shirts, but I'm not going to fucking spoon feed you the world tonight all right go listen to another wrestling podcast that's not what we're here for but i don't understand the human rights abuses fine don't listen (laughs) it's fine honestly we don't mind if you don't want to listen that's grand this comedy wrestling podcast is about human rights abuses and that is just get on board already but as a result of that adam I, other than the Goldberg match, which won't be this episode, it'll be next episode yes. because I, I just couldn't help myself. I watched that one lonely evening mm. and these matches here, I've never seen before. No. And the reason I'd never seen them before is that much like Daniel Bryan and I, I was going to say Sami Zayn, but he just wasn't allowed to go to the first one. <laughs> Conscientious objecture. I think I was. I know Joe was. Mm-hmm. We didn't do it for How To Wrestling. No one, uh, no one of our four hundred or so patrons on How To was like, "Hey, where's the Saudi content?" Yeah. Ha- had you seen any of us? Yes, I remember the very, very first Saudi show they did, the Greatest Royal Rumble. I, I, th- I thought to myself, like, well, they've got some dodgy politics going on over there, and the human rights issues aren't amazing, but it's not like they've murdered anyone or anything like that, so I'll check it out anyway. <laughs> uh, I, j- I was just curious about the 50-man Royal Rumble, so I watched that, and funnily enough, t- taking a good thing, a Royal Rumble, and, like, inflating it to nearly double its size doesn't make it twice as fun, actually. Well, don't you remember how much fun we had at the 40-man Royal Rumble when we watched oh, yeah. that, the one that uh, Del Rio won? Yeah. So, yeah, it's... It's an interesting period of time, though, because this is a period of time where I don't think there'd ever been as intense scrutiny upon WWE and its dealings. And Undertaker's kind of twilight years and his last few high-profile matches Mm. take place on a backdrop of where him wrestling is probably one of the least important things We are talking about a series of matches we'll get into now and this episode of the documentary where Undertaker, if you remember, was being booed in America on Raw by just mentioning these shows. Yeah. 
So, yeah, to say that it's not just a bunch of fucking, you know, hipsters and, and radical leftists or whatever who care about this stuff, it did peek through to the mainstream, mm-hmm. and we'll talk a little bit more about that as the episode gets on. We're trying to start episode number three, which is the shortest of the offerings so far, although we are heading off to watch a few matches in their entirety during this one. We had, like, the fucking revelations and the execution or the hanging. What was this next one called? This one is End of an Era. As you pointed out, not a massively long episode, this one. They've got a few bits they want to talk about, but also... Uh, let's just fucking pad it out and talk about some really good matches for a little bit because we don't want to focus too much on this sad shit. Yeah, far be it from WWE to breeze over the details of Saudi Arabia. Mm. Unless they tell you the great details on how they've made it a fabulous country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it begins at the end of the last episode and I'm enjoying this kind of you know, absolute perfect kind of this book ending of, of each of the episodes. Like you could kind of make them flow together into one long, horrible documentary that no one would want to see. It's like Back to the Future, basically. It picks up immediately where it left off last time. And then you get a little trailer at the end of each one where it's like, oh, but don't forget, next time Mark Calloway's going to the Wild West, boys and girls. Yeah, well, unfortunately, at the end of part five, they didn't go with Vince's idea, which is, and then he shows up and he's got white hair, big silver glasses, and he says, <laughs> Where we're going, we don't need these. And they just kind of hover <laughs> hover off into the future, don't they? So Undertaker, once again, is seeming a little bit more down in the dumps. Mm. And you can tell, because the start of this documentary, he was kind of a little bit quiet, but I think he was open. And I feel he's less open here now than he was in the first episode. Because he sat there with this look on his face where he doesn't feel like he can actually say... I'm pissed off at how this has went down. Yeah, I think at this point now, he knows he's fucked it. Like, when the documentary started, it was like, okay, I'll try and open up as best as I can. You lot want to film me while I try and find my retirement and I try and get out of the business. And then the retirement backfired. He made his big comeback and he got back in shape and the match was underwhelming. And I think he realizes at this point now that, like, oh, it's never going to happen. I'm never going to get that perfect retirement match like Sean got or like Rick got. That ain't going to happen for me. And he's kind of pissed off about it. You got that asterisk as well of the fact that it wasn't just, oh, I can't do it no more. So that's it, which is what he had the year prior. It's the Mm -hmm. fact that he did have it Mm -hmm. and they opted to. And I wonder if it was like like a little lesson in humility for him where if you come up with your fucking beanie in your hand and go like, well, if someone's injured, I might do the battle Mm. royale. Instead of being like, I'm the Undertaker, main event, please. If you're Mm -hmm. giving me John Cena and I'm doing this, you're going to give me 25 minutes minimum Mm -hmm. because I'm not working my ass off for a three-minute match, which turns out that's what he did. And you're having the first five minutes of this documentary, a man who claims to be a professionally fan, but personally... um, you know, it is what it is. And it's like, right, when you are a wrestler like The Undertaker, you can fuck off trying to convince me that your professional worth yep. and your personal worth are not one in the fucking no. same. I know that because I'm someone who gets my fucking, the value of a podcast tied up in my own sense of self-worth sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I really have to sit down and go, it's a fucking podcast and you're a human. Separate the two things mm-hmm. here. But Undertaker, he's professionally distraught and he's personally distraught because his life is his job and obviously there's a huge deal in wrestling you can't just retire you have to have 
the last match that has to be significant and i don't actually believe that i don't think it's necessarily true that you have to have like the last match has to be incredible you can go out on whatever terms you want to go out like but mm. he clearly has this in his crawl that it's like no i can't retire until i've had this incredible bookend at the end of the career i'm just looking back here in these notes that were made in the middle of a particularly sassy egg breakfast oh, here we so go. you know i'm coming at you with both barrels but it says the undertaker Claims to be fine, but is clearly very upset and has this desperate fire burning inside of him now to prove himself wrong. Mm -hmm. Just the way they like it. Like they, <laughs> right? That's true, yeah. I mean, you can't help but think that's the fucking god-tier gold standard how you want your slightly fucking older in the tooth, yep. long, long, in the, long in the whisker, older wrestler who hasn't got any more, but if he's got that fire... Much mm. like in the same way the youngster who hasn't got it all figured out, if they've got that kind of rivalry fire, we can... Vince loves to do this and play people. I don't think he yeah. realizes that he does it with their emotional state half the time. I don't think Vince realizes half the shit he does, to be honest with you. It is just pure <laughs> instinct the way he behaves. I mean, we obviously were coming quite close to some other stuff here because Undertaker goes... If it wasn't a three-minute match, I probably would have definitely retired there. So mm. He's doing that thing where he's going around backstage, all smiles, shaking everyone's hand, being like, yeah, no, it was a good match. Yeah, it was good. It was good. It was, oh, man, I tell you what, I trained for 40 minutes, and they they gave me three, but that's, you know, <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. And, oh, hey, Rick, how you doing? Short match, hey? Like, he just he can't stop talking about it to everyone. <laughs> no, 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 sure. They said you should get the big turkey because there'd be a glut this year. No, 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 no. It's fine. It's fine, sure. Sure, I'm pretty sure the, the, the pigs down the dump will enjoy it, won't they? The pigs down the dump will enjoy it. Undertaker is in this kind of weird zone now where he's clearly really upset and they want him to do the whole kind of, hey, be cute with your family and be mm. kind of, like, hey, Undertaker, be at peace with yourself. And I've always been amazed. I watched it recently. Uh, me and Joe just sat down. We, we popped on Beyond the Match just because I was like, hey, you know, you know about Foley, you know about Terry Funk, you know about Paul Heyman, Vince McMahon, like all these big names. We can sit down and watch this and have a huge new meaning for you. Mm. And there was this point with Foley after the I Quit match mm. where he's obviously very distraught. You know, he's hurt professionally, personally. He's embarrassed because of what's happened with the family. He's also physically completely fucking distraught. Mm -hmm. He's mentally, he's bell's been rung several times. And he still manages to find a way and a means to be like, communicate with his kids and say it's all right i know you're really scared it's just like a boo-boo yeah the fact that he manages to still channel it into be charming and calm yeah. down your kids and be nice to your wife colette and say maybe i'm gonna to touch you later because mm. there's nothing more sexual than a man with a concussion threatening Jesus to touch you later on <laughs> cool <laughs> and i always was amazed that foley even underwater could fucking do that and mm. undertaker here who's a little bit pissed off and like Oh, you're going to be cute with your kid, Undertaker. Yep. And he's like, oh, my little girl, she falls asleep normally when I have a match because they're so long. And then, you know, I, I have this match here and, you know, she don't even care, man. She don't care. And then it cuts to him sat down. Like, it was almost sweet from a point of view. And then it cuts to him sat down with his, you know, fucking All Rifles Matter t-shirt or whatever. And he's like, it was nice that I got to crush her favorite let her know that her daddy's a man <laughs> i what the she's fuck five. is that she's what? five 
That's like how JR talks about his dad. Like, what are you on about? Like, I'm sure her daddy's a man. Can you just for a second? I'm sorry, this is very indulgent for you and me. But as it's coming up to Christmas and all that, and we're not going to get to see our families normally, can you imagine your dad saying that about anything? It was nice I got to crush his favourite. Let him know that his daddy's a man. <laughs> it was nice that West Brom got to crush Adam's favourite. Let him know that daddy's team is a man. <laughs> or like your dad puts on Lord of the Rings to show you a real trilogy. It was nice to crush <laughs> the original Star Wars trilogy, his favourite. Let him know his daddy's a man. <laughs> uh, and then he decides at the end of this, actually, in spite of what I said earlier, I can still work a few more matches. So after yep. the race as we go. Yep. He's just like, oh, well, I didn't get the match I wanted, so I, I've got, easily got a few more in the tank. Let's just see what the fuck happens next. Oh, and wouldn't you know, is it just completely fortuitous? What's huh. just, uh, independently of all of that, huh. we've signed a big massive deal with Saudi Arabia to produce oh. a, a biannual show hmm. produced by the royal family and government party for the next eight to ten years in a deal that's supposedly worth half a billion dollars, but... We don't know the full details of which wow. because it's only reported as other in the earnings reports when they come out. So, yeah. Ah. And they sure as shit don't say half a billion dollars here. They don't mention any of the money. We get Undertaker here fucking lying through his teeth going like, Saudi, uh, what, they're, what they're trying to do over there and being a part of that, that's, uh, that was intriguing to me. What bit is intriguing, Undertaker? What bit is intriguing? I think the amount of zeros on that check is the most intriguing thing about it, to be honest. Okay. Hello there, it's me, your old pal Kevin. Uh, just from the warning earlier at the start of the episode, you may not have thought this, but three episodes into a series which already had massive side ventures talking about t-shirts and all that shit, surprisingly, the Saudi Arabian government and the murder of a journalist and all that jazz, yeah, that will fall under the remit of politics being discussed. So, you know, if you really hate the thought of that, you can skip ahead seven and a half minutes. But I'll give you a little rundown of just in case you happen to have watched all this WWE and heard all this grumbling and groaning that was going on and you were annoyed about why such a big deal was made yep. about it and mm -hmm. why did it matter? Why why was it an issue? How come we went to Abu Dhabi like three years prior and women wrestled there? No one made any deal. Why is it the Saudi Arabia such a big outlier? Yeah, and I'll say it's fair if you feel that way, if you don't yeah. really understand why, because honestly, WWE and everyone around it have done a good job of being like, up, oh, up, oh, up, oh, forget about that. Oh, pandemic, isn't that crazy? What happened last year? Who knows? Just don't talk about it anymore. They've really swept all this Saudi stuff away now so that no one's talking about it. So, look, the Saudi Arabian government is run by their royal family. They are both a monarchy and like a right-leading totalitarian government mm. in many res respects. A kind of a theocracy, which means it's a system of government where the religion forms a big basis of it, in this case, Islam. And you might think, oh, a ultra-conservative, you know, royal family of a vastly different culture might necessarily be best buddies with the United States of America. Well, they mm. have been for nearly a hundred years. And it's not like, a, oh, fuck you, Bush, you made... No, 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 <laughs> this has been going on a long, long time. And broad strokes, it's not a conspiracy, because we do it here in the UK as well. This is simply how it works. Saudi Arabia has oil, which mm. we need for cars and things. And Saudi Arabia likes weaponry, which we have here in the UK and loads of in America. We're talking hundreds of millions of dollars get sent over there. Why does Saudi Arabia need weapons? 
for a variety of reasons, not limited to killing civilians in the Yemen. So there's lots and lots of things like that. Human rights abuses, things that you might take for granted, like because of your sexual orientation, your gender, or how you live your life. And while obviously in the UK and the US, if you're transgender or gay or you're not white, there's a whole lot of things that you'll come up against. Or even if you're not a a white man specifically, there's a lot of stuff that you'll come up against. But if you're a woman in Saudi Arabia, legally you're treated like a child Mm. in that less than 5% of the women in Saudi Arabia in the workforce are women. They've only recently been allowed to drive. One of the only countries in the world that still criminalizes homosexuality to an extent that you can't even be killed for being homosexual. There is... A lot to be worried about there. And look, what's that got to do with WWE? Honestly, nothing. Except for the fact that these shows are explicitly put on with a view to running a loss. Mm-hmm. WWE got around $50 million for the first show we're going to talk about here. They made Saudi Arabia, the people who put it on, around $200,000. Mm-hmm. That's the scope of the loss they're taking on each of these shows. Why are they doing it? Because it's free PR. Yep. So the Undertaker can say their social progression agenda is intriguing. And it's a way to make him seem forward thinking and all that. And it's a way to make him seem like we're coming into the world and being a global, you know, part of this global international landscape. UFC's involved in that. Disney's involved in that. Except when all the stuff with the murdered journalists happened, which we'll talk about later, mm-hmm. all those people walked away. UFC yep. gave back $400 million. WWE said, we'll take $400 million yep. more. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. And if you listen to anything Michael Cole says, and you tell me that's not propaganda, no. look up what propaganda actually is. That's it. Like I th- One of the big reasons why people were so upset about this in the first place is because especially WWE, their sort of their own brand of hypocrisy where they're like, hey, we love women now. We're finally pushing women to the moon. Look, we've got a women's division. Oh, we've got a women's title again. Like they tried to make this big fucking fanfare and they really did that for like a good couple of years. And that is right when they made this deal with Saudi Arabia that we're going to go over there and we're just going to pretend like we don't have women on our roster anymore because they're not allowed to wrestle over there now. And like you say, they aren't just like putting on a show over in Saudi Arabia. Arabia they are making propaganda for Saudi Arabia you've got Michael Cole talking about the beautiful progressive city of Jeddah it's literally literally propaganda and you can't be surprised that people were so upset about that yeah and I think there were like reasons to be upset before the reality of what was going to happen from them doing this because when they announced it there were loads of people who were complaining and then obviously when they went to do the second one there was more complaints and then obviously the third fourth ones that have come since the stuff that those of us who were complaining at the start were thinking well yeah it's not a surprise to me that you know your airplane was held up and people's Mm -hmm. passports got taken off them because Mm -hmm. and the fact that we'll never really know what happened on those flights that's perfectly understandable to me adam you see and that's kind of what what happened with with this is that it was something that WWE you you can go over there and just say we're putting on a show mm-hmm. greatest entertainment in the world and you could say look it's an amazing we did it in 97 look we went all the way over to South Africa mm-hmm. and and the and the truth commission rings as true here as it does in the United States of America yep. but like they were international and there is this kind of big capitalist love lovey idea in your head where it's like hey 
if something is great and it's entertaining and it represents these values of freedom and democracy and all that's right in the world, like, it's a lovely notion. Japan mm. after World War II, it was a, a country that was, was crippled in the post-war process because of the damage that it suffered. And you ask anyone who knows their onions about Japanese wrestling, professional wrestling specifically, the American brand of professional wrestling was taken by Japan and it was managed to, it was a cultural renaissance. It's fucking mm. huge. Wrestling in Japan, I don't need to tell you how big it is. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not saying this is exactly what was going to happen in, in Saudi Arabia, but I'm not saying I'm begrudging a country getting a go on wrestling. What no. I'm begrudging is this really fucking dodgy stuff that was happening because that's before you talk about WWE's relationship with Trump and mm-hmm. the government. And it's just, it's too dirty and just a little bit too chummy as well. That's it. It's not, we're not just talking about any wrestling company. We're talking about WWE, which everyone knows is the fucking greasiest wrestling company in town. So yeah, it's to be expected that people are going to be extra, extra suspicious of WWE doing dealings with Saudi. I think so much more of Eric Bischoff running that terrible WCW show in North Korea in the 90s. <laughs> I respect him so much more for it, Adam, simply because if you read Flair's and Bischoff's book, it really comes across as, this is a stupid fucking idea. This is like Antonio Inoki levels of crazy idea, and mm. you're doing it for your own ego and to say, I, Eric Bischoff, did this crazy yeah. thing. Which is such a better reason morally than... <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's, it's so... It is. He's eating Eric Bischoff, not just any Eric Bischoff, young, sexy Eric Bischoff yeah. from 1995. Mm-hmm. He's eating your moral lunch, Vince. <laughs> so, yeah, here we go. Undertaker talking about going out to Saudi Arabia. It was great, man, eating all them dinners, getting really sweaty, wearing a big suit, you know, talking about removing the heads of our enemies. Yeah, we see Undertaker, Vince, I think Kurt Angle, maybe John Cena are all suited up having dinner with, I don't know, are they some sort of, like, diplomats? Or that, that that's not just the royal family straight up, is it? Well, the royal family is, the sad royal family, or the Saudi royal family, is, like, it's very, very large. You know, you're talking about right. hundreds of members of various right. levels and all that. And it's quite, you know, Game of Thronesy in the sense that you can be a, poli- a member of the political family but you could be of a different faction within that family. And mm-hmm. as we saw in the case with some of the scandal with the journalist, certain lower dead members of the family or people who don't fit the kind of the, the bill or whatever can be kind of thrown to the wolves, so to speak. Right. So these, the Saudi royal family members who are dining with them, they're all quite high up as far as I know, because okay. they're all big mad fans who insisted on having you know, Undertaker there. These are the folks who are saying like, oh, put, book Ultimate Warrior. And, Yokozuna. Uh, Yokozuna. I know, put some young talent on. Put that young Hunter Hearst Helmsley in there as well, you know? <laughs> some of the young kids. And I can only imagine what them dinners were like, Adam. Mm, fucking weird, I bet. Fucking sweaty, weird dinners. Everyone's... I don't know, people like, you know, that Stuart Lee bit about the, the Russian oligarchs. And Vince is like, I don't you hate it when you open up open up a drawer? It's like, oh no, it's all the body parts of my murdered business rivals. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine it'd be like, can you imagine how awkward it'd be for a bunch of wrestlers to go for a dinner with a fan and then imagine that fan is also incredibly powerful and wealthy? Like, Oh, man, they, they would have had to be on their fucking toes. Because surely, what was, right? What was really evident, and particularly on the first Greatest Royal Rumble, which is what we're going to look at now here, it was very evident that they had no fucking clue whatsoever what they could get away with and the extent mm. to which the Saudis were in control because the Saudis are meant to be in control of like, you know, the production ultimately, which is the only show WWE ever do 
where they're not fully in charge. Mm. Do you remember the big scandal that happened on the first Greatest Royal Rumble? The scandal that nearly resulted in the entire contract being dropped and kicked off down the road. I do not remember this. What happened? During one of the ads where it was like, Hey yo, look out, it's time to go. Here we go, banana slammer, conga bongo hero. Oh, that's Donkey Kong, sorry. But during that, and they're like, use the code banana slammer to get 20% off WWE t shirts tonight. They showed, I, I shit you not, Alexa Bliss wearing her new t shirt doing the Alexa Bliss pose where she closed her fist. Yep. And then. It was such a scandal that the head of the sporting administration for the royal family in Saudi Arabia had mm-hmm. to apologize for the indecent woman that was shown on screen. Jesus wept. You know, it's just like, <laughs> and you thought we were prudes. <laughs> I, but that really goes to show you they don't understand the gravity of like the cultural difference that they're dealing with here. They were just sort of like, oh, we can put that out on, no problem. Oh, yeah, there's, there's a kind of a... There's an ongoing learning process here, which is no more evident in the very first trip we take to Saudi Arabia, where The Undertaker, and I was so annoyed the documentary had him, they went from him being like, I'm in the best shape of my career, Mm -hmm. damn, that match was too short, to him being in the ring with Rusev going, I wasn't as good physically at that point what happened what happened yeah this actually really pissed me off because it was like wrestlemania 34 undertaker is in the best shape he's been in in years best shape since he wrestled Shawn michaels and it was wasted on that three minute match what a fucking shame oh here's an opportunity though you get to have like a good 15 minutes with rusev a really young really talented really athletic superstar someone that can really bring out the best in you and fuck me he does not give a shit in this match yeah this is a match where both the undertaker and rusev's career trajectories became very apparent knowing what mm. you are know what we know in 2020 yeah i was looking at rusev here going you should go and do some underwhelming streaming right about now and the undertaker <laughs> is looking at going you just need a fucking lie down mate <laughs> <laughs> i did wonder and it was a little thing they brought up here was like how some of the gimmicks would get over in different parts mm. of the world because obviously you don't want to take for granted that some of the strong imagery of the Undertaker, like a casket or buried alive or last ride matches or bo- do you even have boneyards in Saudi Arabia? I don't know. So, you know, there was that element of it and they were hyping up the fact it was the first time Undertaker has got a casket match in over 10 years. The last mm-hmm. time was at Survivor Series in 2008, which I just recently reviewed with Billy Keeble for HG Wrestling. It was the last time The Undertaker was in a casket match, and also the last time the Vladimir Kozlov headlined a pay-per-view. So. <laughs> oh, really? That was the last one? I know, man. What oh. the fuck? Absolutely ridiculous. So, here we go. Undertaker taking on Rusev, who is in the height of Rusev Day. Hence, mm-hmm. we've got Aiden English coming out saying, Today is The Undertaker's final day. And he rhymes day with day. I was hoping he'd come out and go, You've done it now. You've gone and made a big mistake. <laughs> Memories. <laughs> Nostalgic memories of a little over two years ago. I know. Talking about Rusev, Aiden English, the whole Rusev Day gimmick. Throw Lana in there as well. 
I fucking adored that shit. This was the definition of one of those acts where someone described it to me. He was like, oh yeah, Rusev, you know, the, the Bulgarian brute. He comes out. Aiden English, remember him from the Vaud Villains? Yeah, he sings. He does Rusev Day. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? That sounds fucking rubbish. <laughs> Mate, they've got calendars as well. Like. <laughs> and then I finally see it and actually, yeah, it's just... I think it's the sheer talent of these people made yes. this act work so well because yes. this was way better than it had any right to be. And it does still hold up, I think. It does. I think it has big Hollywood blondes energy. The fact that mm. almost out of spite, these people were put together as some sort yeah. of, not a punishment, but busy work, essentially, to keep them out of everyone's hair. And they got over and then were resolutely punished for it. But unlike WCW, where they just, you know, get rid of them and let them go off and be a star, in WWE, they kind of did the thing where they ran out until none of you would be any way interested in it ever again. Yep. See, Damien, Sando. Yes. So, <laughs> uh, the way I knew this was over... Was, you know, WWE have that Boom Comics gimmick that they do. And, yes. you know, some mm-hmm. some of it is, is pretty wild. And I think you and Billy should take a look at it for, oh, for Patreon sometime. But I saw a cover that they did. And it was uh, it was just a Rusev Day cover. And it was done like the Macy's Day Parade. And Rusev had this giant big, like, float of him being like, yeah! And it was a big balloon. <laughs> and in this, it was being driven by this big Cadillac, and you had Aiden English, who was, like, dressed in a tuxedo, like, singing on the top, and, like, Lana was, like, a cheerleader. And it was, like, a ticker tape parade saying Rusev Day. And I was just like, whoa! That's a fucking striking image that is yeah you know it's inspired a cartoon or a comic artist to make a crazy image like that that's straight off of a comic book and i love it and i just felt these guys you know they brought me to the verge of tears when i thought rusev was leaving around wrestlemania because i thought this Mm. gimmick was so over and they had that misfit vibe to them you know i like that misfit vibe all right, let's uh, talk about the Undertaker now, I guess, finally. Oh, yeah, we should mention this is a casket match. Like, the, you have yeah. to win by putting your opponent in a casket. Undertaker comes out, and I don't know how how they managed to fuck this up in the space of three weeks. His hat's too small again, Kevin. He's got that big Whoop. fucking red line. Yeah, Undertaker has what could best be described as a Billy Roll grimace on his forehead <laughs> in this entire match. It's fucking, it's a bit ropey here. Although I will say, the crowd seemed to react almost as much for Undertaker that they do for Rusev, which was very mm-hmm. strange. The crowd are very forgiving, I think, because obviously this is like the first fucking big WWE show they've ever seen yeah. in this country. So like, obviously it's a huge deal. They're better but- than I thought they would be, Adam. Yes, for this match. I mean, we'll talk about some of the other matches later <laughs> on, I guess. But yeah, the, the crowd are into it, but I just, I couldn't help it straight away. I was thinking like, come on, do something. You were, yeah. you were the one saying like, I was geared up for a 40 minute match and they only gave me three. So let's fucking see you do this 40 minute match. It's like bop, bop, bop. Rusev goes to the outside. Undertaker walks around and grimaces. Rusev comes back in, gets thrown out again. Undertaker walks around. He's not doing anything. Well, you were expecting him to out Rusev. Is that what was happening yes. there, Adam? Well, it wasn't going to happen tonight. Not in Rusev Arabia, as they rechristen it. And I'm pretty sure someone's going to have to apologize yeah. for that. Someone's hands are being removed for that one. Like, I just say, the fact that Michael Cole's tongue hasn't been cut out of his head with commentary like, is, is something else. Like. They are very excited to see The Undertaker, you know? And I feel here in this match so pissed off now because I feel I've spent the last year and a half wrongly assuming that there was this good health phase of The Undertaker that I just opted not to watch because I wasn't watching Sadie shows. Honestly, it feels more like WrestleMania 34 
he only seemed so healthy and he only felt so good because it was a three minute match. I'm starting to think if he had to do 15 minutes with John Cena, maybe we wouldn't have been that impressed with his shape at all. Right now, I, I can tell you that Michael Cole is someone who I have immense, yeah, I gotta say now, I have immense respect for. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just saying Michael Cole, the performer, the crown jewel of WrestleMania 27. I'm talking about Michael Cole, the person who has easily the hardest job in the history of wrestling. And if you're still hating on Michael Cole, just fucking leave now because it was all right to hate on Michael Cole 10 years ago. And now we've had around 10 years worth of interviews, podcasts, secondary sources confirming just exactly what a nightmare this man's life has been for the past 25 years or thereabouts of, of his of his career. Mm-hmm. He has a lot to do, a lot of plates to spin. But tonight, in the very hot city of Jeddah, with a lot of propaganda to do, a lot of key terms to remember, and a very sensitive undertaker to try and cover for, with an admittedly particularly awful Corey Graves. This is some of the worst commentary from Cole ever. I felt sorry for him. I wasn't even angry with him. Yeah, honestly, I just feel like he's stuck in a situation here where he has to be careful about the kind of things that he says. And priority number one is not to call a wrestling match, not to commentate in an effective way. Priority number one is to make sure that Saudi Arabia look good because that's what we're all getting paid to do here. Oh, we get such gems as, look at this, Corey. Everyone has their phones out. The feeling of respect is overwhelming. How do you get overwhelmed by a feeling of respect? What would happen to you if you were to be overwhelmed, Adam, by a feeling of respect? Ah, 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 ah. I know exactly what being overwhelmed by the feeling of respect is. And it's any time Ric Flair is there with 10 or more of his colleagues clapping and looking at him. And he's there like, oh, Jesus. Oh, no. He's doing the little mouthing, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> really fighting, fighting his damnedest to hold back those tears. You know the classic image, Ric Flair in a pair of sunglasses because he's had to sell his eyes. <laughs> Even though I can't see you fine people here tonight, the love is very much felt by the nature boy. <laughs> I don't know why, just because when WWE comes at me with this shit, I feel like my disrespect bone gets activated. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting a lot of angry comments on this one, Kevin. Well, in fairness, we've lost half of them anyway with the Saudi stuff at the That's start. True. So like, yeah. for a penny, for a pain as they say that you know Undertaker's hat was left on so long not only did it give him a billy roll grimace it left a mean mark on his forehead for the entire match yeah it didn't go away (laughs) here's some more the fucking boot licking from from Cole about the fans here Corey you gotta admit the fans did a great job here in giving the Undertaker's Oh, Jesus we're, we're really impressed with these fans here tonight, Corey. Someone could say this is the greatest crowd we've ever had here, the greatest Royal Rumble. Uh, did you notice what they had on the Titantron for this entire match? On the Titantron? I remember seeing yeah. like they had the big main screen, and on the left they had a picture of Rui Seven, on the right they had a picture of The Undertaker. I didn't notice anything else, though. All right, sorry, I just thought there was just a picture of The Undertaker. That's all I saw. <laughs> no, no, there is Rui Seven there as well. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> so yeah, Rusev bails and does very little, and then Undertaker bails and does very little. You know, yep. it's so they can bail and come back in and get an, you know, an overhand strike some of that light grapple A attack from fucking WrestleMania 2000 shit. Rusev is giving you a bit of the comedy because he's doing the whole, I'm not just afraid of caskets. I am like allergic to caskets. Like, if I touch <laughs> one, I'll get hives and that type of a thing. And Undertaker does old school, which was impressive to see. He did, yeah, he did old school. I mean, he did that with Cena as well. We know that he can do old school. And it did actually get me thinking, like, has he ever 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 fucked that up in his career 
I don't think so. Have we ever seen Undertaker fail to do old school? It's, it's impressive that he could do that move so consistently well over 30 years. See, I have this theory about it that even if you did fuck it up, because the way you're holding... You know, if you ever notice the way he's holding their arm, and you know, a lot mm. of times when people do the reversal, they have it where like they, they pull them back or whatever. Yeah. But if you very much... If you just kind of take the way the person holding their arm going, ah, and you just look at it, it looks very much like it is... You both have equal pull on that end so That's i feel any time he may have slipped and fell it just that the person if i was there being given by the undertaker you think the instinct is to go oh pretend like you've pulled him now because he slipped so you mm-hmm. just go ah and then you make out that you've done it so i think it's one of the easiest to cover for spectacular mm-hmm. high-risk maneuvers in the world but that is basically the only good thing undertaker will do here he does his three spots it's like it's that it's a choke slam and it's a tombstone i don't think he does anything else oh, you talking about carcinogenic right hands here from the undertaker oh yeah best pure striker in the wwe you know better than ever each fist is a locker room leader in of itself <laughs> uh, each fist is there like where's the water boo why didn't you shake my hand hard enough boo why didn't you shake my hand too hard boo <laughs> Undertaker gets put in the accolade which is the no he doesn't alright yeah he doesn't because you know what that looks like don't you it's an actual yeah, I've move. seen the accolade plenty of times. It's a genuine move. Whatever the fuck his Undertaker doing here, it is not the accolade. It just looks like an uncle and a nephew having some hijinks at a fucking family dinner or something. Isn't it? Like he's like, "Come on, try and wrestle me." And he just gets on top of him. What now? Like, <laughs> would have been too would have been too disrespectful for him to ride Mean Mark like a little horsey at this point. Like, but I, I don't know if it's Rusev doing it wrong because to me it's like the accolade. You sit on the guy's back and the guy's neck comes forward like you're doing a cobra in yoga. Yeah, and they come forward. So their face is facing forward. Undertaker doesn't do that. He just stays looking at the ground with his head down. Well, I don't know knows. if he can't do it or if he doesn't know how to do it or he doesn't probably, want to do it. He's on his knees, so all the pain there just probably puts the rest of his body into shock. So he can't oh. actually move his arms and his fucking neck or anything. So. Undertaker sits up. I swear he does this like three times in the match. Mm. We get a choke slam. Aiden English runs in, gets a tombstone with like mm-hmm. a big fucking smile on his face. You know, <laughs> happy to be here. Oh, very scary tombstone for a guy as tall as English though. His head definitely bounced off the mat. I don't think it was that bad, but it definitely touched. It it, it, it looked scary. I think anytime uh, he's got garbage scooping arms, he's got the, mm. the alien body with the long translucent yeah. frame, you know. Both men get buried. No, not that way. That comes later on. But the both men are buried. And yeah, I mean, Undertaker himself says the match. He's like, I didn't feel about as good. I was about 90% as good. I don't know. He's more like 70% for me. Honestly, if you'd have just, if you take out all the filler, all of the Undertaker wandering around and fucking chuntering, you would have a match that is similar in length to the John Cena match at WrestleMania. And if they had made it that length, it probably would have been just as good a performance as he gave at WrestleMania, where everyone's like, oh, he can still go. But making it 10 minutes and fucking having him wandering around, not doing anything, really exposes that maybe he's not in as good a shape as we think he is. And it was the most casual burial of Rusev ever when he's there unlacing his shoes and he's like... At this stage, I can't be taking matches for granted. Just having a match with like, I, I can't be wrestling just about anyone now. You know, Fuck off. all right, you know. And I, I remember being in a few minds about that because I thought there was a time when if Undertaker was taking on someone like that, he'd fucking do his damnedest to make sure they got over. Yep. Case in point, see the fucking shit that the Undertaker put himself and his body through against the likes of Mr. Kennedy and a very mm-hmm. young Randy Orton back in the day, you know, to do it. But here it felt like he couldn't have given two fucks. I don't know if Rusev helped his cause or all by tweeting, bury me softly, brother, when there was matches announced. 
Honestly, I, I don't mean this as a huge diss because I think it's pretty fair. But at this point, it's only about Undertaker's ego. He doesn't care about putting other people over or making the new talent look good. This period of his career is purely about, I've got to feel good. I need to feel good about myself yeah. so that I can retire. And until I do that, I can't retire. It's like WWE are saying, right, we're going to keep making him feel as good and as nice as possible until we hope that he matches up or just does the thing that will make him finally happy and fuck off. It's pretty much yeah. a really aggressive Viva Pinata situation <laughs> we've got here. Three months later... Undertaker's here in the garden to soak in some fucking miserable vibes. It this is such a fucking non-issue. Yeah. He's so is it look Undertaker? It's it's so like Mr. Burns' birthday. Where it's like <laughs> And if you if you just turn your head, you will see everyone in Australia is putting you know joined candles and it's like and if you just look over here, me Mark, we'll see that uh, the Madison Square Garden is turned purple and you're like, bah, no time. <laughs> Must bury Elias. <laughs> So he's headlining Madison Square Garden one last time in a six-man tag. Madison Square Garden! Madison, Madison Square, Square Garden. Garden! This looks a lot more like WrestleMania 32 than 33. Like He's looking a lot more like he's retiring against Roman here than anything else. He looked bigger, slower, redder inflexible like less maneuverable he looked in a bad way here adam you say that honestly i didn't get that vibe just because it's a six-man tag you can yeah. let roman and braun do most of the work and then it lets undertaker do which is honestly this is going to sound stupid but one of my favorite things he does in terms of him looking impressive and intense is just him stood in the corner waiting for the tag going like because it doesn't take much energy but it looks fucking awesome to see the dead man getting all fucking pissed off and worked up i like that the person who looks like they're having the best fun in all this is kevin owens who gets to do the kind of comeback sequence against the undertaker yeah. and he's literally like he's a fucking kid living out his his boyhood dreams here you know getting the snake eyes eating the big leg drop all that honestly i'd say that for all of these guys in the ring here like it's one thing to say like oh i've headlined madison square garden but baron corbin and elias can now say i headlined msg with the undertaker and that's a cool thing to be able to say yeah and particularly as we now know that wwe trades not with money and stock with its performers instead meaningless trinkets like yep when they went to Callis and Anderson we wanted you to have that you know have a little run with the raw tag team titles oh thanks guys yep. it means so much to me Zack Ryder getting to win the Intercontinental belt at Wrestlemania like oh great now everything's fine you can treat him however you want for the rest of his career now you're fired also your girlfriend's gonna have to let us use your house and pool to film bits during the pandemic <laughs> I shit you not Zack yep. get Come on, Zach. Come on, for fuck's sake. Undertaker has a bit of an about face here. I'm not sure if it's because this is a shorter documentary episode, but he mm -hmm. goes, when it's not special, it's time to walk away. And then it's like, now I'm going to spend a little bit of time with my family. You know, it's important. Spend time with your wife, your kids, getting to know them, getting to be there with them. Cuts to him immediately at home going, I'm constantly thinking always about how to come yep. back. Honestly, it didn't last 10 seconds where he's like, hey man, I'm able now to just turn it off and spend time with my family. And then he's there getting physio like, ah, how am I going to come back from this one now? Like he, he, It's all horse shit. He's still on about retiring. None of this settling down stuff means anything because he's clearly still gearing up to have that big match. And there's also definitely more going on here because he later on casually says, um, you know, the whole year there were things with um, Michelle and family and that whole kind of yeah. a sort of a thing. And it's like, right, you're either getting another divorce or something else was happening. But mm. there was something else that was on his mind and on the family's mind yeah. that was obviously making him think, 
ooh, wrestling a knee injection sounds like a much better idea than yeah. fucking scrapbooking with Michelle and the gang. Yeah. So Vince McMahon calls. Hey, pal, guess who's down under in Australia? It's Hunter Shamsley. Hey, dude, I'm down under in Australia. Wickedy wham wham wizzle. Come wrestle me in Super Showdown. Super Showdown for the last time ever. That is not a way to get me excited for fucking that match. No way. Nah, uh, uh. Last time ever, Undertaker and Triple H, I've had my fill, thank you very much. And we made the very, very smart executive decision to yeah. not watch this match in its entirety. Yeah, we, we did the equivalent of whatever was turning the, t- the keys individually because we just went through this, didn't watch it, and then contacted the other later on saying, we're not watching it. <laughs> <laughs> However... Those of you who may be disappointed for the trademark Attitude Era podcast analysis may be thinking, oh, we're going to miss out what could be, no doubt, one of the all-time grunt fests here. Mm -hmm. Adam, if you would please provide us with a sweet slice. Well, this is the thing. I didn't even have to watch this match because I've already seen this match, Kevin. I watched this back in the day just for the grunts alone. And yes, back then on Twitter, I did put together this little tasty slice of grunt pie. I was... Now returning the fame. Dawn. The opposite. Triple H up with. Undertaker did it right to the gut. And another one. And here's the Undertaker. Be pretty. Undertaker with. Undertaker. Is triple. To break this. Such a memorable match that they didn't even talk about the match like at all. They just talked nope. about the relationship between these men and each other. Triple H talking about him being the young guy coming in and earning the respect of the Undertaker exactly how you thought he would. Because he's like, hey, I don't drink, but the Undertaker is like, do this dirty sweet jack with mm-hmm. me to prove you're a man. And he's like, so I drank because, you know, he asked me to. <laughs> And they, they were, were firm friends. They were bigger boys. They had more respect <laughs> than me. So, yeah, I mean, they had that deep wrestling bond where it's like, we're brothers. I'd die for him, but I'm never going to call him and ask him how he's doing. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is such a wrestling relationship where it's Ooh. like, we don't talk to each other. We don't get in touch about our feelings and about how the other one's doing or anything. But we know. We know without having to say it. We'll never say it, but we know. Brothers in arms. Uh, Undertaker is obviously getting ready for his match with Triple H because he's doing hammer training with uh, with Michelle, and I think the idea that Michelle is there with him is meant to like kind of fill him full of like, hey, work out together and all that. But I think instead, what it's doing it in those clips that made it look a bit self conscious, that he's like, this is my cool hammer thing. Don't <laughs> and, like he doesn't like the idea of Michelle working the hammer because then it might make him look weak when he takes the pin after a hammer shot later on. <laughs> so. Talks about the four matches that he's happiest with in his career. The two with Sean, the two with Triple H. All right, even you've bought it as well, have you? Even though they're showing you clips of your third match with uh, Triple H here at WrestleMania. Yeah, I mean, he's talking about that four-year yeah. period, I think, specifically. And, you know, I can see why, because that four-year stretch was what made Undertaker a big deal in my mind. Like, 100%. When I came back to wrestling and I saw these matches, I was just like, oh, shit, this guy... 
is like better, literally better than ever. Like he's even better than I remember him being. And when they show the clips here of him fighting Shawn Michaels at 25, it's, it's been a while since I've seen that match. I forgot just how incredible he looks there. Undertaker is at his absolute peak. Oh yeah, and I think it was one of the most incredible things to watch was was that period of time because I already thought the Undertaker was all that. Like you know, I hadn't mm. had the benefit of yet doing a podcast where I would spend all my time making fun of him. But mm-hmm. you know, I was hundred percent an Undertaker firm believer. I thought all all the streak matches is back as early as eighteen. Like from eighteen, that's when I was in, I was hundred percent an Undertaker yeah. guy. I love those matches. I always liked the storyline. It was always like my favorite. It was the Yorkshire pudding of the WrestleMania <laughs> roast dinner. Like, yeah. we, we should have more of them. And I could argue that I could have just that and I'd be happy enough yep. and I don't need any other wrestling brackets roast uh-huh. dinner at all. <laughs> Lockdown's done some things to me, folks. <laughs> but I often hear people talk about these long-term arcs in storytelling. And a lot of mm. examples are often given in New Japan and the long-term arcs they tell of people's careers. And it's the benefit, obviously, in Japan in certain areas and certain companies where look, we're going to book you consistently or let you tell your story in a semi-consistent manner for you know, 20 years even. And then we can actually put together these really endearing stories that have a lot of dramatic weight. And you feel like you don't get that in WWE, except with these few guys who, yes. I will say right now, they've never replaced them. No. But going from, I think, WrestleMania 24, where you... Or no, I'll even go say from WrestleMania 23, where at WrestleMania 23, Taker beat Batista... For the mm-hmm. title, where it's like, not only is Taker good, he is the best and better yep. than any of the current top guys. Then you have Michaels beating Flair, the retirement yep. there. Then those two guys come and meet at 25. That felt like it had an extra special weight. And then Michaels' retirement in 26, 27, and 28 off the back of that. And then from there on, the streak had already had its own storyline. But it entered mm-hmm. this whole new thing where it was people like Punk trying to ruin the legacy now not just take it it was less about taking it for their own glory and more about tearing down the false idol of the undertaker and adam when you think about it now that's 10 years of wrestling storytelling we're going Mm -hmm. through there it should have culminated with roman and taker and it didn't and that's a problem it's very much the rise of skywalker last whatever the last one is yeah it's that actually that's a good point like because they try and tell the story and tie it all up with Roman and Undertaker. Roman's not a clone. Get out of here, you fucking... Come on now. <laughs> See all these like jars with like Rikishi and them press faces. Yeah. Press. <laughs> but because of the reaction to Brock Lesnar versus the Undertaker, brackets, The Last Jedi, with it being so divisive, they changed course and they completely went with a different story than the one they were trying to tell in the first place. But isn't there that fan edit though where the big show runs out and a baby gets delivered instead? I hear that's way better. <laughs> There is a lot of chat here, and, you know, as someone who enjoys all those matches and has a lot of time for the for wrestlers who have earned the right to kind of just wallow in the joy of a great match and a great story and an amazing performance, I think, you know, you could, you could put an hour of footage of Mankind, Triple H, Austin, you know, any number of people I grew up watching and them talking about great matches, and I'll always have a time for it, but so much of this is like a building of a myth Mm. and the fact that they're building that myth to tie into saudi arabia was kind of that was the bit that really upset me was that they were kind of saying this is huge for saudi because of all this legacy and when you realize you spent all this time building the myth it's like you're throwing it away for a show that people aren't gonna watch 
You are, because they talk about the significance of how these four years were incredible wrestling and it was these absolute icons of the Attitude Era to the point where WrestleMania 28, the Hell in a Cell, they said, this is the end of an era. This is yeah. us closing the chapter on this amazing period. It's finished now and we're ending it on a high. And they're going out of their way in this documentary to say, yeah, we did that. And now we're just going to do another one just to piss on that legacy a little bit. Like if there was one thing which was going to not prepare me for watching the match that we're going to watch next, it was absolutely positively spending a long time talking about the majesty, the varying greatness of those four matches. Like JR just saying, WrestleMania 25 is one of the best matches ever. Incredible. Amazing. Magic. Yep. Lightning. I mean, I was there in person and I, I never have been able to kind of divorce my... Uh, to use an Undertaker term, to divorce my in-person, wow, this is an amazing out-of-body experience with, mm -hmm. you know, watching it as a match. But I could still tell you, I think it's one of the best matches of all time. And out of those four, I think it's the best, personally. I would probably agree. The Hell in a Cell comes awful, awful close, though. <laughs> when they get to WrestleMania 26 and Sean is like, everyone was amazed I stayed retired. I was like, that actually made me nostalgic, you saying that. Mm -hmm. that <laughs> it's one of the greatest things in the last few years of wrestling that has kind of like, shouldn't upset me, none of my business, doesn't concern me in the slightest, but it still does irk me that he stayed retired all that time just to throw it away for Saudi Arabia. Unbelievable, like seriously. Mick Foley as well, winning the most naive man in the room awards with this fucking clunker. There will come a time when... The Undertaker will have to retire, and I think when he does, it will be uh, understood by all. <laughs> no, it won't. What are you I, about? I think he's basically saying Taker had reached a point in his career that any time he was going to say, I'm hanging up my boots, it won't be people going, oh, no, come back, or people going, oh, no, that's too soon, or people going, right. oh, fuck you. People will all be like, more, and tip of the cap, like, yeah. you know, hands mm -hmm. on their hips or whatever. Nah, I think as you can tell from Survivor Series 2020, it's a mixture of those of us who think it's a terrible idea for him to go out the way he's gone out and that maybe the boat has sailed. And people who are like, come back, Undertaker, defy biology. I just remembered that literally between episode two of The Last Ride and this one we're recording now, he has retired again. We didn't even yeah. mention it. He's actually did a formal retirement again. So he's gone now, folks. Should have said that earlier. Undertaker is retired Better than ever, never coming back. And you you know he's definitely retired because they busted out the Paul Bear hologram and they only use oh, that for big occasions me. like Coachella. So you know that he won't be he won't be coming back anytime soon. My feelings on WrestleMania 27? Eh. Yeah. WrestleMania 28, one of the greatest matches ever. I think that's number two in the list of the of the four. Yeah, Re WrestleMania 28 is just unbelievable. Shawn Michaels, I, f I feel like it would have been a good match without Shawn, but with Shawn there is what makes it so unbelievable because he adds all that emotion to it. The one person who ever stands up for WrestleMania 27 is Triple H, and even he can't think of anything unique to say about it. He says of WrestleMania 27, it really felt like the end of an era, you know? It's like, wow. Well, then the end of an era match to be following you must have really <laughs> felt like the end of an era. I mean, that match, it's not like there's anything particularly bad about no. it. It's just not special. I think it's, if, if anything, it's basically the match they're going to have at Super Showdown is pretty much that match, I think. With a little enough. bit of rocket fuel in it. Like, mm. I do mean a very little bit of rocket fuel in it. I like when wrestlers who never talk about wrestling are like, Oh man, that spot, that's like one of the best spots ever. And Undertaker correctly identifying for all of us at home the super kick into the pedigree into Ooh, yeah. the pinfall by Shawn Michaels and then the kick out 
is one of, if not the greatest gotcha moments in wrestling ever. I was I there with you when we watched that because I'm pretty I sure don't I don't remember. I think it was we so long ago. I think it would have been the first year before we actually watched wrestling together, maybe because I remember. I think yeah, kicking over fucking furniture when that happened. Like, oh my god! Yeah. It's literally one of those moments where it's like you clutch your chest and you're like, yeah, like you can't believe how fucking close that was. Oh, unbelievable! All right, time to get ready for Australia. You know, uh, there's only one way to do that. You need Andrew McManus to teach you the ways, boy. <laughs> no, just more CrossFit, getting ready. He seems pretty excited about it. So I think one of the reasons it is that he's excited is that he's doing a lot of stuff on telly to build up for us. Yeah, I didn't get excited as much as him just being confident and relaxed. Like, to me, at this mm. point, he's not even... He doesn't seem particularly stressed about how he's going to perform or if he's still got it. He's just like, yeah, man, it's Triple H. Of course we can have a match. It'll be fine. I don't need to practice or anything because it's Triple H. We can do whatever we want. Now, I always find that Undertaker and Kane, particularly in their later years, there's this there was this picture of them that you posted way back, like one of the first things we posted on Twitter back in like 2013 or 14, of the two of them at like a house show with all the fucking, oh, yeah. the magical lights taken away. And they just look like two really glassed, like, old men who are fucking yeah. getting on in years and i think the fine line between mythical brothers of destruction and the fucking mitchell brothers doing a cosplay <laughs> is very fucking fine indeed it's an eastenders halloween party this is <laughs> <laughs> and they're fighting over who's going to be uh they're fighting over who's going to be undertaker like you know who's the mum called the old mum what's her, what's her name Peggy. Peggy and then Peggy comes in dressed in as, as Paul Barrett. <laughs> oh, yes! Oh, for fuck's sake. You just can both be The Undertaker. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> these segments here, they all gave me bad vibes. The ones where he's like, with me, with my brother of destruction watching my back. And Kane's uh... like, oh, yeah. I'm looking to retire in three months. <laughs> oh, it, it really feels like men pretending at this point, doesn't it? Yeah, men behaving sadly, as I like to refer oh. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, but don't worry. They're having a big lads night away in Melbourne. Hey! Triple H with the fucking hubris here. Did you catch what he said? This wasn't like before. Like before, this was afterwards he said this. He's like, Psh. Me and the Undertaker? I mean, come on, man. We could do this with our eyes closed. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Famous last words, my friend. (laughs) Undertaker, not sweating this. He's 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 not a gamer in the traditional sense. He's backstage playing... Not playing dice. Where Where are the bones at? He's playing cards. I know, where are the, get the dominoes out, man. This isn't like you. It's not fucking Card Street crew. There's something about like, Undertaker coming back into a locker room and being like, Bone Street crew represent. Where are the new pledges at? And it's just uh, Larry Heck, the athletic trader there in his own going, yep. Hi, Mark, I brought the cards. Oh. Of course, now, BSK, we know people who are banned from all BSK encounters, and they include... Hornswoggle, The Big Show, and noted terrible person, Tony Chimmel. Yeah, and you know why, don't you? For being bad luck. Bad luck. I feel really bad for Big Show. I can just imagine him being like really upset that he doesn't get to hang out with Undertaker. Do you think it's like really upsetting for The Undertaker because anytime he's playing The Big Show in cards, and when he has his winning hand, he holds them out like, you know, the cover for a giant swirl. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, I just thought that Big Show's hand would be like those big cards that Bruce Forsyth had. <laughs> like... I mean, like, in, in fairness, the Big Show's not so bad. It's when Jerry Lawler's there commenting on him and going, you ever seen the Big Show's buy-in? It needs a lifeguard. It's so, but, you know, that is what always gets Undertaker's dander up, you know? So I got one bit of notes here for Undertaker versus Triple H in the land down under, which is they're both ridiculously fucking orange. Oh, God, yeah, they're a couple of pumpkins going at each other. Like, Triple H, you expect that in his old age. But Undertaker, I've never seen him so orange. Oh, my God. This is the moment where at least one or two of the parties involved in the Brothers of Destruction and DX know that what's coming is a terrible idea. And I think Undertaker Mm. has it pegged at this point that it's a bad idea. Because... Yeah, you know, Triple H and they were talking about like, oh, it's, you know, it's old school storytelling, meaning we didn't bump a lot. <laughs> yeah. I think it's purely Triple H and Sean that are excited for this. I think Kane, you know, Kane couldn't give a fuck at nah, this point, right? He's, he's getting his money and he wants to go off to be the mayor. But I feel like DX are genuinely excited for this. This bit here, right, because we'll say the Australia match, the Super Showdown, it's Triple H and Undertaker. You've seen it before. You've got the big finishers. You've got the sledgehammer. You've got the steel chair. The only difference is this time, Triple H wins the match. For the first time ever, Triple H beat The Undertaker one-on-one in a big match environment. And then after the match, Brothers of Destruction both attack DX together and they chokeslam them through the announce tables. And Michael Cole goes, years and years of pent-up frustration. What? Yeah. Pent- they beat them like a hundred times. Pent-up frustration. Pent Between up. them, they've probably spent like five hours having matches at WrestleMania. There's nothing left pent-up. They are sp- Bent. There's no frustration left here. They've done everything there is to do. Years and years of pent-up frustration. Such bollocks. But what I love most about this is, do you remember what the rationale was for getting Shawn Michaels to then wrestle? Because what happened is, you know, after the match, it was, oh, the, it yeah. was the plane ride, brother. When I was coming back on that plane ride, I was talking to Triple H and I thought... Oh, no, no, no. There is no way in hell that I'm not coming out of retirement pissing all over the fans and doing a really shit match for some of that blood money, brother. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no way they're thinking that when Undertaker, when he's walking away from the match, the camera's on him and go, and his eyes are as wide as saucers. Mm. And he goes, holy crap, Kane screwed up so much. Uh, yeah. It's Kane's <laughs> fault, sure. I think he was just being a bit silly there. I think that was just him having, having a cheeky joke with his brother there. I'm not sure he actually believes that because he probably thought that was a grand match. No, no, they did. They did miscommunication. There, there was missed timings and all that jazz for sure. Even the even the highlights they showed us, it looked like Kane was a fucking a mile late for oh, some of his bits. Okay, but this has led us to the hype up for a match which Michael Cole promises us is going to be huge. The Brothers of Destruction versus The Generation X? (laughs) The Generation X? In our town? Undertaker and Triple H, of course. Very excited for this. Triple H, once again, the master. None of those H's stand for fucking hubris. You'd be surprised to find out. There are basically no weak links in this match. (laughs) Dude. Dude. He's talking about this, like, saying, like, how... Ah oh, man, you come out, you do a few crotch chops, get a few finishes, it's a piece of cake. We all know each other so well, it'll be like working the day off. Is he basically saying 
that there's a lower standard expected because it's Saudi or there's a lower standard expected because it's us? Because I can't imagine Triple H should ever go, eh, come on, it's WrestleMania, we'll throw out a few glow sticks, do a few crotch chops, whatever, yeah. man. He'd never say that. He's not trying to say it's a lower standard. What he's getting at is that, like, we, the four of us, have worked together in so many different ways and so many times over the years that it, it's not like work anymore. It's like riding a bike. We know it so well we could go out there and do it with our eyes closed. But the way it comes off is like, you don't even have to fucking try, mate. It's just four icons. We could just go out there and do our taunts and everyone would be happy. Well, I don't know what anyone's worried about because, according to all these men, the table is literally set for nothing but success. And that's mm. what we're serving here tonight in Saudi Arabia the fucking promos though where they're in the soundstage pretend graveyard why do we have better graveyards in 1998 honestly why you just fucking film everything in the same fucking empty void room when you could actually just go down the road and film it in a yard somewhere they claim that at this point it was uh very clear that Sean didn't want to do it uh he wasn't into it he didn't want to do it why why don't you want to do it? Stop lying. Stop. It's like, I honestly, at this point now, Adam, I am so much more respect for someone like Jim Ross. who will say, they paid me a hundred grand just to show up and yep. say hello. Gra yep. Shawn Michaels, don't be like, oh, I don't want to do it. Why are you going then? Just say you want the money. That's fine. You're allowed to well, want money if you want it. Like He does end up saying that the reason he came back is because it's these three guys. And just because it's these three, it'll be, it'll be so comfortable and it'll be so fun. It'll just be a fun time like old times. So what, if it's sure. these three lads at a SummerSlam and the payday's got a one and two zeros knocked off it... Is he still interested? Mm. I don't think. I don't think I so. I, he must be right, surely. No, he fucking gives up in this match two minutes into it. Yeah, I want to know what the size of the paycheck was because you know they say everyone's got a price. This literally is a case of Shawn Michaels did have a price and they finally found it. Like. Yeah, this is exactly it. And during this entire match, like they should have had the crowd going. And Triple H is like, well. It's like a bad comedy movie, man. <laughs> yep. You don't get to laugh your way out of this one. I am. <laughs> <laughs> caption, caption. Contest, contest. And boy, when you go down to caption school, you best put some spec in your name. We've got a big caption contest size piece of, of chew in our mouths. And Adam and I, we're getting ready here in the future to start chewing on it and spitting out the spittle, which is the reactions to the chew jokes caption contest hello adam how are you i'm good thanks pal i'm, <clears throat> I'm good i'm very excited this is like we're right in the heart of where we want to be on the last ride and i think we've got a caption contest befitting of this saudi arabian themed episode absolutely and you know in lieu of the lucrative dip sponsorship that we have been angling for <laughs> why do you think that we did this in the first place <laughs> we're happy to announce instead that this episode is once again sponsored by one of our lovely backers over on patreon and uh, folks who've got a fantastic podcast you should check out adam it's time let's go to war now you and i have spent a long time talking about all the pay-per-views of the Attitude Era with Mr. Billy Keeble, yes? Mm-hmm, we have. Do you know there was another company that was knocking a few out at the same time as well? I believe you're talking about our good friends over in WWA, Kevin. That's right, Australia <laughs> is back. Oh, wait, no, hang on, I've got that wrong here. It's WCW, yes, of course. Now, these fine lads coming all the way from Australia, thankfully are not inflicted with the scourge of WWA. They just are inflicted with the scourge of inquisitiveness because despite the fact that they didn't experience it growing up, 
up, they are all now going all the way back to 1995, from the start of the Monday Night Wars, all the way through its bitter conclusion. We're going from Fall Brawl 1995 and In Your House 3 to WCW Greed and WrestleMania 17. (laughs) It is an absolutely wild ride, and I suggest you check it out. Wherever good podcasts are available, they release the podcast in tandem 25 years later to the exact month that they came out. And I can imagine, Adam, that some of these heavy-hitting pay-per-views are ones that you'd like to hear some perspective on. How about Halloween Havoc 1995? Oh, man. I like this. That it's going to be every every episode they do is 25 years after it aired. That's a nice way of timing it up. Also, you say that all three of these lads have never like seen this period before. They're all new to it. They are fresh eyes and ears onto this period. And they've obviously... It's their first time. And Adam, I couldn't even tell you... What WWE was like in 1995, yet alone fucking WCW. I mean, I've dipped my toe in, but WWF are making shows like The Great White North and Triple Header. I'm not... (laughs) You're making those up. They didn't really go out. (laughs) And I swear, Bret Hart is the champion and Diesel is there too. You have to believe me. So check them out wherever good podcasts are available if you enjoy the tone and style of this show and can't get enough dry Australian humour in your diet and you want some WCW and WWE, then let's go to war. Available now, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. Just make sure you don't tell them about Steve Austin turning. In, in fact, I'm not even going to say it. Just don't, just don't let them know. Don't spoil you it. You know what? I'm not even going to tell them what Lex Luger and Buffbag will do to Goldberg at the end. Of- <laughs> oh, no, I know. I didn't. Wa- I wouldn't want to do that to them, Adam. I wouldn't want to do that to them. Is that know? the equivalent of the WrestleMania 17 turn in WCW? But, but when, but when Buffbagwell and Lex Luger look into that coffin with the jackhammer and the spear, I want people it to be a surprise <laughs> for them and them to enjoy it the way it's meant to be enjoyed. Right, we've got a caption contest which i shit you not has been up for shorter than some wrestlemanias and yet we still have over 400 replies on facebook alone yeah the timestamp on twitter says it's been 19 hours since we posted this and we have got nearly 300 entries on twitter as well kevin that's nearly 700 entries in in less than 20 hours and folks we're on to hour 19 of the greatest royal rumble pre-show here in Jeddah. <laughs> We have promised to continue broadcasting until all human rights violations have been addressed. (laughs) So we got The Undertaker here who's proven himself to be, Adam, nothing if not an eminently captionable young man indeed. Not since a young Hunter Hearst Helmsley scrolled into season four of the Attitude Era (laughs) have we seen someone so adept and apt for appearing in a caption contest. That's it. We're doing a very, very silly episode of The Last Ride and I thought, oh, we've got to get a caption like, you know, bold Shawn Michaels or maybe Kane when his mask falls off during his match. No, less is more, baby. This is just a picture of Bugger Red. He's sat backstage by himself in the locker room and he's got a big fucking face on him going like, ugh, you, you really need to see this one, folks. I don't think our descriptions will do this face justice. Yeah, I mean, recently you took umbrage with a number of the <laughs> a number of the screenshots and kind of thumbnail images that are being used to you know get brand booger red out there into the into the mainstream and mm. he's doing a lot of what could i be best described as we're seeing here and i wonder if that's why you picked the picture it's a bit of a cheeky face for me mark is what i'm saying adam it's a very it's a very cheeky face so i'm going to be taking us through the captions submitted to us here on twitter at ae podcast and i'll be over at facebook.com forward slash attitude era podcast 
videos, goofs, caption contests. It's the place to be to give us a big old thumb. I'm gonna start things off here with a very straightforward one from Jennifer Nicole saying, I just sat on my keys. <laughs> <laughs> Undertaker reacting to general household mishaps, because I think with lockdown we've all interacted with things in a painful way a lot more. Like, you know, I'm mm -hmm. sure we've all stood on at least one piece of Lego, and mm -hmm. I'm not even Finn Balor, folks, you know. So Undertaker, I think that that, that has borderline plug on it, you know, a three-prong plug, because I know that he's a badass and the best pure striker that WWE, <laughs> he, wouldn't, he wouldn't sell for it. Adam Scully here. When you finally listen to that Attitude Era podcast that everyone's talking about, <laughs> and everyone is so mean to you. <laughs> Undertaker listening to a podcast is still probably like a lot weirder than Undertaker making pancakes or like, hey guys, me and Michelle are checking out the new skins on Fortnite. Now why don't you hit me up on my TikTok and head on to Dead Man Streaming on Twitch. <laughs> oh my... god. It's a matter of time. <laughs> my long play. <laughs> Future Dizzy here. Hey, don't yell at Undertaker. Just because he's a little slow to get to the ring at WrestleMania. Undertaker's brain. Something said. Not good. What was it? Don't yell at Miz. Nah, that's okay. What was it? <laughs> slow! They called you slow. You've done it now. <laughs> Adam Crimes here. This is the Alan Partridge lap dance music playing in the background as Undertaker <laughs> slips into a daydream. He pictures himself gyrating for Paul Bear. I like your trench coat! Yeah, it's a vulcanized rubber, which means that it won't perish. All right, hold on now, folks. Heidenreich enters the room, placing a party hat on Undertaker's head, breaking the reverie. Way! Undertaker swipes the hat off angrily. Bust your arse! <laughs> what Great choice. an image. Wow. Would you like me to lap dance for you? <laughs> Heidenreich is Michael, like, from, from Alan Partridge. Yeah. Very... Like, I, I, I'll just say, folks, right, if you're at the, the fan convention... And Heidenreich offers, offers you a mug of beans with a little action figure peeking out of it. Just don't know. <laughs> he might recommend you use it as a spoon, but don't. don't. Okay, got one here from JD Renaud. And just give me a second, Kevin. I need to stretch up for this one. This is going to oh, take some work. Go. Big doing. You've done it, darkness, my old friend. You've made a big mistake again. Oh. I can't allow a vision creeping. <laughs> You to walk away while I'm sleeping And the ozone that's injected in my knee Still with me Within the sound of Saudi <laughs> Beautiful <laughs> Chaz Porch the Undertaker gets excited when The Simpsons prove that after 30 years and seriously diminished quality, you really can stay on television forever. Ooh, <laughs> that's The Simpsons reference. <laughs> Have it. No, not like that. Uh, we got one here from our good pal Brian Zane who says, So, we finally meet face to face. The time has come for us to do battle. The camera pans around to reveal a giant cucumber slowly taping its fists. <laughs> Taker and Pillman versus Pencil and Cucumber. Someone booked that for a Survivor Series next year. There was a lot of people in all the comments talking about drugs. <gasps> drugs. Okay. 
steady on now. Undertake, now come on. The only drugs he take are performance enhancing. Wash your mouth out with soap. We got uh, Tony Stark here. That face when your future self goes back in time and delivers two words that you don't want to hear. Another divorce. Uh, <laughs> I like that you reacted like the Undertaker. They're like, oh! <laughs> right in the heart. <laughs> Those divorce grunts are always the loudest. Speaking of, we've got a seriously hardcore reference here from No Chris Alive, like to the point of knowing a name that I didn't even know. Ooh. Especially in reference to the Undertaker's wide eyes in this photo. Remember me, Jody Lynn? When you said you were gonna divorce me, I looked just like this! Wow, <laughs> deep dive right there. <laughs> Kyle Rieger, come on, pal, you have 40 more cameos to record. <laughs> One of my favorite Twitter accounts, Wrestling Referees Are Wizards, here with. Woohoo, that's good squishy! <laughs> Mark Radovan. When you find out that BLM doesn't stand for Blue Labs, man. <laughs> Craig Curran, production shot here from the set of Darren Aronofsky's The Wrestler 2. Oh. <laughs> You're coming at me with a mark. Come on, mark. It's Taker, man. Come on, it's Taker. Oh. Liam SCFC saying, No one knows what it's like. To be the dead man, <laughs> the booger red man, <laughs> behind blue eyes. <laughs> Tom Almeida West, honey, did you remember to close the gate to Stygian? Undertaker's face. <laughs> I imagine the gate to Stygian is very much the bins of the, the underworld, yeah, isn't it? Like, oh no. Jamie McDonald here, with one that may be slightly revealing. That old fella in the gym that wants to chat with you for three hours when you just want to get changed. <laughs> Our longtime friend Michael Scally here. So then, Mohammed bin Salman pulled this tape out of his personal collection and he said, Let me show you a real dead man. <laughs> <laughs> Very appropriate. Oh my god. <laughs> this is this is I like this one because this is fucking this is deep and it's not gotten the love that it should from a main man Steve Yorko here who was always the delight a man in the audience says to his son you should have seen Kylo Red in his prime <laughs> I like it it's taken some of the, the the sequel trilogy which is always fun to bring up on the iChair podcast mm, we love it and it's taken up the Undertaker's own worries like you should have mm -hmm. seen him back when you know that <laughs> type of thing Oh, caption contest MVP Lizzie here with a straight up, I am wounded. <laughs> Craig Walker, please remain in the relaxation grotto. Have crueler words ever been spoken? <laughs> deep, deep dive late season Frasier, liking that. For Scythia Helltiger here with, fine, if they're going to spend half the episode talking about the questionable political leanings of my shirts, I won't wear one. That'll show them. <laughs> This randomly, I didn't know where I could bring it up, but one of the first things I did when we started this episode this morning was I just typed into Google, ah, let's see what happens. Nine lines, Saudi oh, Arabia. Just just to that. see what would happen. Like, because yeah. it's, you have to admit, Adam, Saudi Arabia is one of those ones that's hard to reconcile if you're you're of that ilk, you know? It's, yep. it's kind of a, oh, but they're such an important military ally. <laughs> All that showed up was just a big thing from there. Like, nothing. It was like all these things saying, oh, no, no results. 
But then there was one result which was Nine Lines Facebook page saying, mm-hmm. We wish The Undertaker lots of luck on his big trip to Saudi Arabia for his match with his brother Kane against uh, <laughs> DX. And, and everyone in the comments was like, Good luck, Undertaker. I hope Saudi Arabia is nice. <laughs> I hope you continue the fight against fucking radical terrorism and uh, the l- radical left over there. I hope, I hope you continue to... to bring the values of the nine line brand with you in, in the beautiful hot city of Jeddah. Tristan Carroll here. Last year's staring contest didn't live up to my standards. I can't go out like a parody of myself all stumbling and blinking, so this year I'll be ready. <laughs> Adam Carter here. Undertaker tuning into his new favorite podcast to hear Kevin's surgical drill impression. <laughs> 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 Todd Gomez these edibles ain't shit <laughs> you know what I'm really impressed by the amount of people who are like I'm gonna spread it's like when you're at your, it's the big lotto jackpot I'm gonna buy three tickets yep and I'll do a, a spread there's a lot of multiple entrants here oh people triple dipping they're are they double triple quadruple dip fucking all hell will, all I'll say folks is while they're appreciated if you read out one that's very good and then I happen to come across your second to third best one later, mm. I'm not going to read it out and we're mm. not going to edit it back in earlier to preserve <laughs> your comedic integrity. All right, this is a good one here. I think this will do us for the last one on Twitter. Lewis Ogden with, Darling, there's an emergency in Saudi Arabia. Where's my spare hip? I think it's in the den. <laughs> in the den? May God have mercy on us all. <laughs> Tom White here. This sums it all up very nicely. This could be like the tagline for the entire Last Ride series. Oh crap, I shouldn't have said it was my final match. Oh crap, I shouldn't have left my hat and coat in the ring. Oh crap, I definitely shouldn't have raised my fist as I left. Oh my, it's too hot today. (laughs) Right, well, time to uh, get on the plane, head back to Saudi Arabia. Oh no, we've been detained here, so... um, Let's just speculate what happens, Adam, and then we'll kind of come back and never talk about this again. Uh-uh. That seems fair. Keep storm. Yeah. All right. No one say anything. Oh, there goes Goldberg. See ya. Here we come, ladies and gentlemen, from the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, a crown jewel, fresh off the arranged murder of a journalist, uh. uh-oh, who was, according to official sources, beaten up in a barroom brawl and then inexplicably caught up with a bone saw. How did that happen? One of those APA barroom brawls, isn't it? Where they're like, come on, boys, get a bone saw and remove all their fucking limbs. What an accident, mate. That's just, oh, it's so sad when things like that happen. It couldn't have been helped. So, yeah, you you think the backlash was bad the first time they went to Saudi Arabia. I remember this time, it was like, it was all people were talking about. It's like, how fucking dare they still be doing this? So this was the point now where a lot of high-profile wrestlers said, I'm not going because... And mm-hmm. names like John Cena, Roman Reigns, mm-hmm. Kevin Owens, Daniel Bryan, Sami Zayn, who again, I'd point out, was not allowed to go because he nope. was Syrian, even though he was a conscientious objector as well. Mm-hmm. A lot of the high-profile names gathered traction, particularly Cena. Even though Cena at this point was already like not really a full-time performer, it was less the big moral stand, I think, for him than it was for a lot of other people. But, you know, Brock Lesnar, Braun Strowman, all the lads were still happy to go over there and collect their big paychecks. Now... To say that it caught on in the mainstream is is saying something, Adam. Because like, really, I can't think of a time there were more curious eyes on wrestling other than the Benoit tragedy than this. Yeah, genuinely. It's it's one of these things that like 
Because, I mean, Saudi Arabia itself was in the news all the time at that point because of this murder. Like, it seems so boneheaded to me that they would, like, have all this bad news going on in Saudi Arabia, all this bad press, and WWE think, yeah, we should still go ahead and do this. Like, it wasn't like it was, like, ten months later when things have maybe blown over a little bit. This is right in the heart of everyone still talking about this murder. And just to say, the whole controversy is as if, like, and I think a lot of people are going to go, like, whether you cared less than some journalist is getting murdered, it's nothing to do with this. It was all through the lens of, 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 of this deal, and this deal was very much a United States company helping shine up Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. And this thing had literally just happened, and you had the government in America, which were tying itself in knots, trying to be like, well, we don't know what's happened necessarily, because they, they can't say, ah, they can murder journalists, whatever. Yeah. They, can't, they couldn't say that, even though that's kind of what was going on, it felt, by omission. So you had UFC and Disney handing back money, you know, but WWE were like, nah, we're fine. And then all the pressure or apparent pressure from fans who were booing every mention of it. Mm-hmm. I was remember being very proud that fans were, were booing it. Just yeah. being like, you know, wrestling fans get a bad rap. And I know this because... We're one of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, we're obviously wrestling fans. But you know what I was up to during this? This is a bit of a flashback for us all now. I'm not sure how many people know about this. Mm-hmm. But I was cutting my teeth off doing interviews for the bbc world service and for a whole i did seven or eight interviews i also talked about kendo nagasaki and and bbc radio hertfordshire once but that's a whole different story here's some clips from the very weird experience of me explaining wrestling to the bbc world service this is just one of those moments that makes it very difficult to be uh, you know, a defender of, of the world of wrestling, particularly WWE. But out of touch with who? Do those who follow WWE really know about uh, Jamal Khashoggi? I think you'd be surprised to find out that yes, a large portion of the audience do. Something that really kind of exemplifies that is that any mere mention of this show in the last few weeks on any of the WWE events, the crowd erupts into booze. I think a lot of people knew that it was a bad situation and this was not necessarily a country that we should be going over to and giving a big hearty pat on the back right at this moment in time. And those boos and hisses for, for Crown Jewel and, and Saudi Arabia, they're based, what, on the on the past reputation of the country? Um, I think it's more based on the fact that the last time that they did a show, and that was only around five or six months ago, it featured a lot of very, very heavy-handed and very prominent uh, pro-Saudi imagery, commentary, etc. Opinions, they were clearly divided amongst the wrestlers themselves, a number of high-profile Uh, figures decided not to go. Will that affect uh, their careers? It's very difficult to say, really. I mean, John Cena, he's a star of such... So, yeah, you can imagine what it's like when you've got people going, now tell me, Mr. Man, why would those who follow the superstars of the WWE even purport to care about human rights abuses in Saudi Arabia and the Middle East? Surely the arms trade is of little concern to members of the Sea Nation and the Roman Empire. I was grateful for the opportunity because I didn't feel like a lot of us wrestling fans had a chance to explain our side of things and mm. also say, hey, not all wrestling fans don't give a shit. Yeah. You know, some of us actually do and some of us actually are aware. There's a tendency to think that wrestling fans won't fucking read a newspaper. And I was very happy that wrestling fans educated themselves to know that this was fucking bad news. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't take a huge amount of education either. It's not like it's one of these things where you need to go off and spend an hour doing a deep dive into it and finding out why it's wrong. The fact is, 
Everyone around the world could tell this journalist was murdered not just by someone, this journalist was murdered under the orders of the fucking government. And who is it the WWE is dealing with in Saudi Arabia? Oh, it's the government themselves! Like, that's why it was so annoying. It wasn't like WWE are being hired by a private company, or it wasn't no. like this man was murdered by a private, like, independent person. This whole thing was connected, and fans were just fucking aghast that WWE didn't seem to give a fuck. The one group who I think maybe didn't get considered at all during this and who got something of a show and seemed delighted in the first go-arounds at least mm -hmm. are the actual people of Saudi Arabia yeah, of which fans. you cannot make up there are a lot of fans there mm -hmm. and there was a lot of time that the chat about Saudi Arabia seemed to kind of include the government the royal family those who are dealing with the WWE and the people all as one homogenous group and it's absolutely not the no. case there's a reason why like a tenth of them were sat in lazy boys in a giant fucking social distance zone the rest of them were crammed in the stands mm. they're genuine wrestling fans regular folks like you and me who are in Saudi Arabia who just wanted to watch a wrestling show who I'm sure were fucking mortified all the bullshit of the country mm. was wrapped into it like because it's just it had the potential to at least be not as messy as this, I thought. Honestly. You know, if it was any, if, if it was anyone of the WWE, like UFC, they would have known the smart time yep. to cut their losses, have a bit of shame and go. But mm -hmm. that ain't Vince McMahon. No, it isn't. <laughs> it's just simply too much money to give back, Kevin. It would have taken too long to have counted it all up and hand it back over again. Well, we've got three words for you. Go fuck yourselves. That's, that's a fun little outtake. I like seeing Kane and Undertaker having a little bit of a laugh for my, what might be the first time ever. I fucking hate the DX entrance so much. I've just realised that I went years is not just embracing that I hate it. I hate the flashy bits. I hate the glow sticks. I hate the fact that Shawn Michaels is in a weird Triple H cosplay here as oh. well. I fucking hate it. it gives I, I me think a headache. that's too much of a generalization you saying you hate the DX entrance because this isn't the DX entrance. No, this iteration of yeah. it, the, the, the DX 3.0 entrance. Yeah, this is bollocks. Like, it's these two bold old men coming out throwing toy glow sticks into the crowd and the fucking on-screen graphics they use, like the X and the sound waves going over, these are <sighs> bad. How did they have really good graphics back in 2000? And here, with all this fucking millions of dollars of blood money, they've got this fucking clip art gif put over the screen like, it's DX everyone. It looks so rinky-dink. Sorry, how much blood money was there again? Millions of dollars, millions of dollars, millions, <laughs> millions, 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 millions. <laughs> I'll tell you what, everything I said in the previous match about the commentary, add a fucking wooden two zeros to that because Renee Young is here and she is fucking yeah. salty. Renee Young, who's been dressed up in 20 bin bags and it's got a special modulator on her voice so she doesn't sound too feminine so you can tell that she's a woman or whatever. Oh my God. Now... The fucking courage of her to actually go over there and be like the only woman probably in the entire fucking production mm -hmm. to be there on her own. It, it got it's got to be scary, Adam. It's got to be really fucking scary. This is a complicated one because I was wondering about how much of this is like. How much of it does Renee feel good about? Because it must be something to say like, oh, I, I'm a female broadcaster that was allowed to go out and do this thing in Saudi Arabia. Note the word allowed there. How much <laughs> of it is WWE saying like, oh, we should definitely send Renee over because that'll look really good for us and for Saudi Arabia. We can make a big deal about how we've got a, a woman broadcaster on air. And also, there's part of me that's like, well, Renee doesn't really say a huge amount in this match. She only gets to talk she, a little, little bit. Like She is so fucking... 
bored. She is so bored. Like, I know the combination of bored and surly because I've listened to a lot of wrestling podcasts, all right? So I know I know exactly what I'm, I'm, he- I'm hearing here. When they have them coming out with the glow sticks and they're dancing around and they throw a glow stick into the crowd and they just show, like, someone... Pi- There's, like, no pop. No. And someone in the crowd just has the glow stick and smiles as if to say, I've received a 5P glow stick. Mm. And Renee just goes... There it is. <sighs> Cole sounds bored as well. Did you pick up on that? Yeah, no, I, th- I think everyone sounds bored here. I don't know if it's because it's the second Saudi show now or if it's because this match is at the end of the pay-per-view, whereas the one we watched before was in the middle of the card. Yeah. But e- even the crowd are really fucking quiet this time. Yeah, no, the, the crowd definitely not... not. They're still a lot more forgiving than I thought they would be. They reminded me of the WWA, particularly the New Zealand crowd and the uh, and the Glasgow crowd, where mm-hmm. it's like, ah, look, we know it's not great, but I'm so happy for some fucking wrestling. Yeah. Way! Like, they do... They gave these lads a lot more than mm-hmm. if they had this match anywhere else in America or, or across the world, they would have been booed at the building, yep. you know? They, they were given that little bit, at least. Cole... Just drone in here. Shawn Michaels has not wrestled in eight years. Shrug. What a big deal this is. Like, this, what, what a, it, Do you want to hype it up a bit, mate? Like? I was going to say, this is a fucking Hall of Fame. Like, one of the biggest icons in the last 20 years of wrestling is coming out of his retirement. And everyone's just like, what can I say? He's here. He's back. Everyone seems fucking mortified. And mm. Michaels, he seems particularly... Like, he's got that little twinkle in his eye where it's like... I feel weird, so I'm going to fuck up the match because I can't express myself. I feel bad saying this, but I, honestly, a big, big part of it for me, a big part of why this is so underwhelming is because that does not look like Shawn Michaels. Who is that? Who is this tiny, bold man with a beard? That ain't my heartbreak kid. What I wrote down here is, Sean really struggles with his retirement, his vest, and the concept of being a bold man. Mm -hmm. Uh, When he came out and he was so slow... And I felt bad because I wrote down thick cane with three C's. <laughs> and then cane had three C's in front of it as well. And, I, and then I crossed out saying, no, no, that's mean of me to say that. I don't want to say, oh, he's thick and juicy and all that. And, you know, his milkshake brings all the boys to the yard. And then Corey Graves just comes in and goes, look how thick Kane is. Look how massive he is, Cole. I've never seen Kane as massive and thick as he is now. And then Michael Cole with the fucking most random, like, bucket of trivia about Kane goes, Kane, the former Money in the Bank contract winner. What the fuck are you talking about? What? I'll say Kane is looking big here. Kane's looking. I, I don't know if it's because of, like he's doing more political stuff now, and you know the combination. So he's eating a of, lot of steak dinners for donors and stuff. Maybe like. he's put on a little weight as well as keeping the muscle mass. But I think he looks really good. I like this bulky-looking Kane. I oh, think yeah. it's quite a scary, and domineering look. He's got the big hairy chest as well, which gives yep. him big lumberjack energy, which I'm I'm always for as well. But like, yeah, former Money in the Bank winner Kane. Like when John Cena comes out, I'm going to be like, this man. Hell, the tag team championships with David Otunga. <laughs> and I will say as well, before we, like, when we were watching the documentary, in the lead up to this match, you've got Triple H talking about it when he says it's like a bad comedy movie. Oh, man. He, he says this great line where he's like, you know, like, 
me and Mark, we're doing the whole sort of like once a year thing these days. Shawn Michaels, he's been retired for eight years. Kane, he's a mayor. <laughs> like, so you can forgive Kane's physique for being a bit different because he is a mayor now. Yeah, that's true. They get a this is awesome chant and all four men have not even gotten into the ring to begin not nope. wrestling yet. Cole here. Shawn Michaels looks concerned, not because he's nervous about not wrestling, but because he's facing Kane and The Undertaker. And he, he's told him this, you see. Cole mentions that Shawn is his confidant. Yep. And I, I can tell that Shawn is very nervous. Mm-hmm. And the reason is, is that before Kane Undertaker come out and Shawn's dancing around the ring and he can't take off his hat and the camera mm. zooms in on him, he's got the big, uh-oh, oh, yeah. God, what am I doing, what am I doing, what am I doing? Leave your body, Shawn, leave your oh. body. He then turns around to the announcers and just points over the top and goes, Michael Cole! Mm -hmm. And then Kane's music hits, so you don't know what happens. And I've done stand-up comedy when I've had a nice friend in the audience and I've been really nervous about the other people there. Adam, you know I've pointed at you when you've been filming gigs in the past. Yeah, it's happened. You've been my Michael Cole in that sense there. (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, Sean still has it. We're told this by Michael Cole within oh, two maneuvers that's good to know i feel bad ragging the commentary team because you can only imagine the last one was bad this one is worse i know that there were more issues on commentary and more issues with the production and vince being told you yeah. can't do things and stuff like that you'll never know the full you know we'll have to wait for that netflix biopic series well, i guess that's it i mean like everyone this time in particular no matter how uncomfortable you felt about going and working in Saudi Arabia the first time round, this time round, that's been amplified by a hundred because of all the stuff in the news. And it's one thing if Daniel Bryan wants to say, I'm not going to come, thank you very much. But you've got to think if someone like Corey Graves or Renee said, I don't want to do that show, that would have a much bigger impact on their career. <laughs> so it's a lot easier just to drop them than it would be to drop Daniel Bryan, for instance. Very true. And I, yeah, I feel like people's hearts aren't in it on commentary, especially because... It's one thing if you're like Rusev or The Undertaker or someone that's got to come out and do a show for the fans. But on commentary, you're the mouthpiece. You're the one that's having yeah. to say these nice things about Saudi Arabia. It must be a very icky feeling to be in that position. And it does feel like they're kind of commentating in the sense that like, look, we're commentating so you can make a video package of this and never talk about it again. Yeah. Because it doesn't feel like... I mean, I saw plenty of people in, in wrestling media circles who were like, hey, say what you want. I was just happy to see Shawn Michaels back and put on a performance. Well, yeah. And I'm really happy about that. I'm mm. like, oh, I mean, I, I envy your standards. I, I yeah, really do. Honestly. I'm not going to begrudge anyone who, who enjoyed watching this match, but I would say in 2018, a year which even by a really good run of five years, 2018 had a lot of really, 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 really great wrestling. Mm-hmm. Even in WWE alone to watch. This when they're throwing these at you in between two other pay-per-views and mm-hmm. you're saying you're going to go out your way to watch this? Yeah. Come, come on now. You have to have some fucking limit on the hours of day you can spend watching wrestling. Like, mm-hmm. come on now. So there is one bit in it that I loved and it made me pop and I thought it was really good. Got the characters over and all that. Mm-hmm. Which was when Sean was in against Kane and he kind of beat him to the punch and he was a little bit like, like Ah, still got it. Yeah. Hey, can your granddad do this? <laughs> the old great machine ain't what? Oh, no, no, that old great mare, she ain't what she used to be. She ain't gonna get over. I think I should, uh, <laughs> personally, I think I should go over the old great mare for now and maybe see you in a couple of years' time or whatever, but, uh. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, that, that was your favorite character moment no, no. in the match. My favorite bit was when Kane went over to tag the Undertaker, and Undertaker didn't even look at Kane, and he mm-hmm. put his hand out as if to say, Boy, 
and he got a tag and then mm-hmm. he just walked in slowly. That was cool. Yeah, and you have little sort of the little showdown as Undertaker and Shawn Michaels looking at each other for the first time. We should say as well, in kayfabe, that's the reason Sean was able to come back is because Sean felt like out of respect for all these years, out of respect to The Undertaker, I need to stay retired. And Undertaker- but that respect went down the toilet on that flight back from Australia. <laughs> you know, all the people talk about your plane ride from hell. Oh, how interesting. I want to talk about the plane ride from Australia. <laughs> oh, oh, you're all concerned about, oh, the, 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 the wrestlers got detained and their passports were taken. And said, no. Shawn Michaels' retirement was detained and his respect for The Undertaker was, was, was taken from him <laughs> on that plane ride. The plane ride with the lockbox on it. <laughs> the, the Taker and Shawn, it's fine. It is. It's like if Taker and Shawn came out in five years' time for a Royal Rumble spot and they, you know, either side of the ring, there's a bunch of young guys in there and they're like, you, you, mm. one more time and they did it, I'd be like, cool. Because it reminded me of Undertaker and Shawn. The yeah. fact that they are presenting this to you as it's the Undertaker and Shawn Michaels, you know, one more time. It ain't. It ain't no, that. They are a thousand times slower. And it is almost a stupid idea to leave these two in the ring on their own for any bit of this match. Because all it does mm-hmm. is remind you of better times. And once again, I, I sorry I keep repeating it, but I've got to say it. That's not Shawn Michaels. I can't get the vibe of like, oh, it's Undertaker and Shawn Michaels without Shawn Michaels here. Because that isn't Shawn Michaels. Adam comes down at like three in the morning and he's like, Shawn? And it turns around and there's this like gruesome image with two very straight eyes going, I'm not Shawn! <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, oh, his eyes looking straight at me. Ah! <laughs> so it's way, way earlier in this match than I expected where Triple H tears his fucking pack. It's like two minutes in. When it happened, for some reason, you know when Mario Kart and the SNES, if you hit someone in Grand Prix mode, you get that big, yeah. that big kind of tires blown and you skid around <laughs> in a circle. That's what happens to Triple H. He goes over the top rope. His peck is torn. Mm-hmm. And even before this, though, I think it should be pointed out, the timing was already off. Oh, it wasn't off to a good start. It's not like no. this is what ruins the match. The match was doomed from the word go. It's just the fact that this happened then is even more cursed. Like, the spot right before the peck tear is... Sean goes into the corner, he does the upside-down spot, and everyone goes, Whoa! Yeah. And then he lands in the tree of woe. And then, like, fucking waiting on Prince Albert as your tag partner wrestling in the 2000s. You're like, fucking come on! Yep. Kane slowly is, like, over the top rope. Mm-hmm. Walks over slowly. Realizes he should do a running attack. Goes back. And, like, I think it's in the brouhaha. Triple H ends up sailing over the top rope and busting his peck. Like, yeah. I think if they did this better, that wouldn't have happened. Yeah, it's probably just he felt like he had to compensate. So he takes this massive spill and his arm gets hooked on the ropes and it just rips his peck straight away. And then we get a good couple minutes of Triple H just, like, sitting on the ground outside, like... Oh, nope. my God. It's torn. It's torn. I know what it feels like when it's torn, and it's torn, man. I ripped it. Oh, it's so funny, because you can literally see Sean gesticulating, like, what do you mean your peck's torn? <laughs> <laughs> and in the ring, Undertaker and Kane, for the first time in their careers, without the benefit of being on a Hell in the Cell that's been brought up to the ceiling, have to try and buy time. Yeah. And they stand there looking 
genuinely confused as Triple H is like, oh, oh, and they decide to put both their hands up. They do the little fucking, the, the badass one hand in the air kind of thing. And do you hear what the audience did? No. They chanted, this is awesome. Oh, <laughs> so no, it's Triple not. H gets his pec torn. He's there going, I can't move my arm, Sean. And Undertaker and Kane are like, shit, raise your arm. What? Raise your arm. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. All right. Fucking hell. So now we're left with the man who probably was designed to be the hot tag kid, Sean yep. Brakels, and yep. all of a sudden he has to do the whole match. Yep. I can't believe it. This is so unfortunate that now suddenly it's on him to do all of the stuff for his team. It must have been so fucking terrifying. Oh my. It's like your parents for your birthday, right? And your kid. It's like, right, there's going to be. A clown is coming, but we've also got a princess is coming for the earlier parts, right? To do some kind of uh, uh, face painting, mm-hmm. and then also we're gonna have some caterers and all that. And then at the last second, the caterer and the princess, their their pecs are torn. And you go to a clown, an actual clown. And you go, you have to make all this food and do face <laughs> painting, and all of a sudden, all the children have got clown faces because that's the only one he knows how to do. My eyes were glued to Triple H as well at this point because I just knew that like. Yeah, okay, he's not going to be able to do stuff, but he's going to try, and he's probably going to make his injury an awful lot worse. Long story short, it was far too much to ask of a clown to do all of this. You get some pops for, you know, the usual stuff. They go for the old Paul Heyman technique of like, well, if you can't win it with wrestling, win it with teasing your finisher every two seconds. You know, mm. you get choke slam, sweet chin music, reversal, reversal, reversal. Uh, as I was saying there about Triple H, um, obviously hurting himself way more. There's a bit where Sean goes to the top rope to do his elbow drop and Triple H has to do the big, you know, he does the point at Sean, but he has yeah. his arm go over his head and his uh, arm is the bad one and it's proper like... Uh, <laughs> fucking hell. So, a point where you know that they've lost all control of the match. And up until this point, I was like, look, I know things are going wrong, but you can't convince me yet that it is a disaster and everything has gone completely wrong and no one knows what's happening anymore. Until the point where Kane just walks over and he just tags Undertaker out of the blue. Mm. And Undertaker is like, oh. Oh, okay. And there is silence. He just comes in. Mm-hmm. And it's in, like, probably, I'd argue, the final act of the match, Adam. Undertaker is tagged into complete silence. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we already got the This Is Awesome chant for the arm raise, so we got to save our, our big pops for later on. There is a bit here on the outside that actually made me gasp. And it's it's not scary. It's not dangerous. There's no, like, big hurt pits or anything, but I gasp because I mean this genuinely, sincerely, without hyperbole, this is the worst Irish whip I've ever, ever seen in wrestling. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty low bar of, of entry, right? I mean, an that's Irish it. whip looks grand 99% of the time, right? I reckon me and you could have a go at doing an Irish whip, Kevin. Well, like, I'm Irish. Like, exactly. You know. And so Undertaker and Triple H are on the outside... I think, I think Undertaker is meant to be whipping Triple H into the barricade. What we get is these two men, arm in arm, gently jogging over to the barricade. And it looks like Triple H is going to go into it. But then Undertaker goes into it as well. And they both just like, oh. And immediately you've got Corey Graves and Michael Cole being like, Triple H, very smartly there, just at the last second, managed to reverse that Iris whip. It looked... So fucking bad, Kevin. It's the worst thing I've seen either of these men ever do in wrestling. I am quite impressed that they've not went back and 
giving this a little bit of an edit. I was expecting like a, li- a little bit. Genuinely. Because there's a bit coming up involving a certain person's wig. And I thought, there's no way that's still going to be there on the network. But they kept in all of this shit. And this, of course, is the point in the match where the gas tanks are well and truly emptied now. So no gas. Half the match probably really still to go in mm. essence because of how slow it's taking them to go through everything. So we go out and start working on the tables. We go through some tables, like, you know, serious slow clunks here. It's it's really, really fucking just uh, depressing. Like, when a table break doesn't make you pop, something's gone wrong, Adam. Yeah, speaking of clunky, it's Triple H that goes through the table, right? And then everyone's sort of down, everyone's spread out and scrabbling. Undertaker's walking around, and then he's just like... Okay, then. And he goes and he kneels down and he just starts talking to Triple H. And it's not like it's like, oh, he did a big move and now he's mouthing off. He just walks over to a downed Triple H and gets down on his hands and knees. And he's like, so what's going on then? Like, have you, have you hurt yourself or someone? I'm guessing. Like, it's They're not even trying remotely no. to hide these things. They know that it's been broadcast on television, right? I, I honestly don't know it because this feels well, I say like television. It's on the network, you know, being streamed and all that. This but... feels like a house show match has gone wrong, and they don't realise that they're being filmed. Yeah. Although I will say, Adam, how Triple H can bump at all is anyone's guess. Yet alone, you know, bumping through tables and barricades and shit like that. I mean, it's the peck on his. That's got to be fucking devastating for him, right? Yeah, it has. But I mean, this is Triple H we're talking about. He finished a match with a torn quad. Like he can do anything. So yeah. Now- time forget about triple h he's a non-factor Oops, mm-hmm. up top now for some uh, right hands oh no kane's entire head falls <laughs> off that's not the demon kane it's the mayor now this is so uh, funny the, the mask and the sewn on wig they both come off together and no. then the cameraman stays zoomed in tight on Sean Michaels. He's like, keep looking at Sean. Stay focused on Sean. Always on Sean. Just Always. Let's, let's just keep him, give him a chance. And then we cut to a different camera angle. And Kane still hasn't got it on. He's just, the mayor is just stood there. How do you know how fucking hard that is? I've got a bunch of wrestling masks here. We've got... Mankind mask, mm-hmm. blue blazer mask, which is a lovely gift from a fan way back when we started. You know, and these are those aren't things that you're gonna pop on in a, in a quick spell at all. Mm. And that hasn't even got any hair on Adam. That's mm-hmm. a fucking tough fucking gimmick right there. You know, Kane should have worked with your Kane mask with the, the elastic <laughs> on the back. You know, he might be careful because he might cut his tongue on the slit on it now and then. But other than that, it would have been grand. So yeah, Kane gets punched so hard that Michael Cole tries to cover for him. And he tries to cover by pointing out what happened. Yeah, like there's one of these things where I like don't say anything. Where he goes, no. he he hit him so hard, Kane's entire mask and hair fell off. <laughs> and all I'll say is is this is if you want to know how to react when hair falls off in the ring, mm. you need to go back and watch some classic TNA. Watch mm. the Knockouts Division yep. because ah! Victor- <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I remember when Victoria would wrestle there and she'd have these big red extensions. The amount of times they fell off and then someone would have to say like, this big lung, it's a snake. (laughs) I mean, who who was it that punched Mark Henry's dreadlock off of his head? Because that was pretty fucking scary. (laughs) That was the monstrous bash match between Big Daddy V, Mark Henry, Kane and the Great Cali. Wow. And between that and Undertaker coming out of both ends, you and I are duties. You don't be on sci-fi, mate. There's no way we're not doing that. Michaels goes up top and he's like, oh, well, I got nothing to live for anyway. Moonsaults, man. 
Is that where he busts his face up? Because I kept my eyes. I knew that Sean got a bloody nose in this match and I kept looking everywhere. Yeah. I think that's the only spot where it could have happened, isn't it? Oh yeah, they, they completely missed him. Yeah. Like, you know, they managed to do that thing where all three men were there and they all fell down with mm -hmm. Sean, yet they managed to provide no cushioning, yep. no safety. It was it was like a young Misby watching there going, oh, this is very interesting. I should travel back in time and be dangerous. What I love as well is when the, the Kane and Undertaker are there. Sean does the moonsault onto him. Kane, still no mask, still no wig, yep. by the way. Boom, they all go down together. Let's see a replay of that. And then straight after the replay, Kane, still on the floor, still selling, but now he has his mask and his hair Great. <laughs> But the way they catch him, Adam, is in such a, oh, yeah, we're going to do it, but not really. They're, like, basically sat down, and it's like they've heard the doorbell, and they're like, oh, yeah, I'll get up, will I? Oh, no, you're getting that uh, then, are you? And then, they, then yeah. it, you get moonsaulted onto. You ever play football with a dad who's not really into it, and you go to kick the ball near the goal, and they kind of do that thing where they make their legs go really wide, yeah. or maybe oh, no. one, oh. one leg goes up like a capital F yeah. to the sides. <laughs> That's kind of the catch that we're getting here. They're not really looking to fulfill their obligations. Nah. Michael Cole, though, with these four men collapsing like poorly built chairs, shades of old. Yeah, a couple. Shades of old. Shades of old, like this is what Shawn Michaels used to do back in the day. The only difference was people would catch him, I guess. And it's years of pent-up frustration that have brought us to this Shades of Old match. Triple H now with the comeback, who's like, only the only this man with a torn peck would like try and devise a comeback, which has got a ropey spinebuster yeah. for the first time ever in his arsenal. Triple H is like, the left arm DDT! <laughs> <laughs> like, if you're doing shit that we do with the playground to fill in the blanks, <laughs> you, you know that you're injured. And then we get the fucking reversal sequence. And this mm -hmm. was such a strange sequence. The Rock got a hernia somewhere in Miami. It was so fucking shit. <laughs> this fucking play. Oh, my arms are folded. And can you put my arms back up? Because they don't bend yeah. anymore. Come on. You got a nice gentle Hell's Gate as well here. That looked very comfy to be in. Yeah, where Triple H actually, you can see him. He moves Undertaker's leg off, bends mm -hmm. it for him, and then tucks his shit under it. Jesus it's, wept. Uh, You'd never make it in the UFC, Triple H. They, you, they'd eat you up if you did that there. <laughs> if you did that there, they'd be like, thank you, now I'm going to win. And Triple H's like, but we're cooperating, you fool. <laughs> the end is a really shit pedigree. Oh. And I never thought, you know, Kane's the master of the fucking shit wooden knee pedigree, but at least Kane will bend his arms. I had a really inarticulate Kane and Undertaker figure, and at least mm -hmm. their arms, Adam, didn't have they only had the one ball socket articulation you couldn't actually bend their arms and yet still i could get a better pedigree on that with my triple h which had thin legs because it was the one that sprayed out water it was not designed to give pedigrees still a better one than this and not to be all billy keeble about it but kane was not the legal man either like just <laughs> just to add another layer of shit to wait a minute we're heading back to cheddar adam we're gonna restart <laughs> this match we just got word that Shawn Michaels has to come out of retirement again! <laughs> and then button this up. The, the match is over now. We've just seen a fucking train wreck of these four dinosaurs. So yeah, we get Sweet Chin music to Kane. And did you see what happened after Kane got the super kick? No. So Kane was beside Undertaker and Triple H in Hell's Gate. He gets Sweet Chin music. I think the idea is that he was meant to like bop into them. But oh, he yeah. But fucking... He splats on The Undertaker. I thought his eyes were going to jump out of his head. Yeah, right on his fucking head, man. The third sit-up. 
literally the third one, no reaction from nope. the audience. Dead. And I, I guess around the 20th pedigree, DX win. Sean looks fucking mortified. The cut to Shawn Michaels in the corner where he's like, fuck me. You, you know it's bad when he's fucking laughing because it's just so, that, that could not have gone any worse for me coming out of my retirement. And Triple H is there beside him in agony trying to say, like, it's not that bad. Oh God, I'll never play games again. Jesus. It, it's, it's awful. Cole, with the fucking commentary here now, this was like, all right, this ain't bootlicker. This is fucking like deep throating the whole goddamn calf at the same time. <laughs> Stand up. Stand up and applaud these men. Stand up and give them the respect they deserve. And then Renee Young, everyone on their feet. And we cut to the tightest zoom of two lads. Yeah. Kind of the tightest zoom. Everyone on their feet. Stand up at home. Stand up for this for the kingdom of Saudi. Don't you you stand up for Mick Foley in the year 2000. You show some respect. <laughs> you sit down for this. Stay so sat down. Sit in a big, big, big chair for this one. <laughs> so we come back to the recap, which is kind of done like even though the Star Trek is like it's a comedy but they recap it kind of like it's a tragedy except someone's hair falls out at one point for some levity yeah Triple H is taking the stance of like well you gotta laugh but Undertaker is very much like my head wasn't in it I got some family shit going on at the time that I was thinking about and I'm gonna blame that for my performance and I'll say actually Undertaker was probably the best person in that match oh no by far Adam by far doesn't say a lot but he was the best out of those four and I think in a part of it is because the other three lads thought that they had to look out for him and the reality is the other three lads probably should have been looking out for them fucking themselves Mm. and making sure their own stuff was good but yeah, I mean, Triple H says, yeah, it couldn't have been any worse. Michaels completely buries it. He's like, it totally blew. Mm-hmm. You cut to him backstage going, oh, yeah, we missed by this fucking much. This is where, this is where I'm angry now. He, he just not happy with <laughs> yeah, it at all. Shawn Michaels before the match saying like how, oh, it'll be good. It'll be comfortable. I know these three guys. It'll be nice and easy. And then we cut to Shawn Michaels here now, like wearing a fucking monocle and a top hat, counting his bills like, oh, it stank. It wasn't very good, but oh, well, it's done now. And he just gets in his fucking Monopoly car and drives away. Like After find God some more. The Undertaker is owns this a lot more than a lot of the other things like, i mm. think i think it's almost to the level where i think it's a bit unfair at the point i'm at this series with the undertaker i'm almost like all right there are things you should beat yourself up about but this ain't it no this one wasn't his fault the performance no the decision to go yeah, yeah. but i honestly don't think he gives a shit about it at all so like, you know there you go maybe if he didn't have all that family stuff going on maybe he could have covered for this match's shortcomings better but by no means is this match his fault this 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 falls at the feet of triple h and Shawn michaels i think I was frothing to watch this match. Like, I was absolutely mm. hopping on a leg. And it was. It was a disaster. Like It was exactly what it meant to be. It was fun. I don't think it was quite the high-level disaster that it has almost been made out by WWE here. It is ultimately quite a boring match where loads of stuff goes wrong, but the audience doesn't care that things are going wrong. They are too nice for this to be a true 
fuck up. See, now you, you saying that is what makes me think it actually is a giant disaster because we're talking ah. about fucking Shawn Michaels, Triple H, Undertaker, and Kane. Shawn Michaels came out of retirement for this. This match had to deliver. It had to mean something. And the fact that it was so fucking boring and dull and it had a few blown spots, but the crowd was kind of, eh, that to me says it was really disastrous. You talk about the timing of it. You talk about the fact that Shawn Michaels, you know, not for lacking in a job in wrestling. You know, this is after he had signed up to do stuff at NXT. There was NXT logos all over his trousers. He's mm-hmm. working there as a trainer and he's making good money, six figures. You know, he cuts his own schedule. He does exactly what he wants to. You know, it's not through lack of money. Sean made a lot of money in his oh, time. Yeah. He had plenty of big send-offs. The DX merchandise was some of the top seller merchandise of the 2004 to 2010 period. And they had multiple, multiple reunions and moments. Mm-hmm. And he is... No lack of money. The way I'm saying this, Adam, is because I'm about to set it up and say that I feel as a wrestling fan that Shawn Michaels coming back here, Saudi Arabia, even if you take away all the political stuff and the moral stuff and all that, that you're, you know, that you have to do quite a big blink to try and miss it. Mm. Even if we disregard all of that, I still think Shawn Michaels' decision to wrestle here at this show is more egregious than Ric Flair deciding to wrestle in TNA a couple of months after his big retirement with Shawn. Agreed. Agreed. We know that Ric Flair has had a lot of money problems later yeah, on in life. Yeah, he needed the money. And Shawn- I, don't, I don't begrudge him for earning the money that he needs. No. Shawn Michaels, as we all know, later in his life, he got more stability. He found ways to actually fix his living situation and to make things easier for himself. Money was definitely not one of Shawn Michaels' worries. No. And, you know, I... At the time when this was all happening, I remember I actually felt bad for Sean because it was like, the guy doesn't want to wrestle, the guy doesn't want to come back, but WWE have given him such a crazy offer that he can't afford to say no, like... It felt I mean, like it was it was predatory almost that WWE were like, we'll just keep offering more, we will fucking get you back. This is an offer that he couldn't refuse, mm-hmm. and look, that's, that's what comes with... With the blood money, that's what comes mm. with it, you know. Obviously, was it a decision he agonized over? I'm not going to pretend like I know Shawn Michaels well enough to kind of imagine if he had quandaries, moral or otherwise. Did he have a long chat with the man upstairs about it? I don't know. You know, it's he took the money. That's the end mm-hmm. of the day. Once you've taken the money, you've taken the money. And this will forever be on his legacy. And yeah. I hate to be all fucking dramatic, but... You can't help but look at that as a blemish on the legacy just because of how high profile it is. A lot more people saw this than the 100,000 people who tuned in to see Ric Flair rolling around for a Hall yeah. of Fame ring on TNA or whatever it was. I know it's it's I know it's not exactly comparable. The money, the situation, the personal responsibility of both men. I'm saying that Ric Flair deserves more sympathy because he was personally less responsible with his money and his mm. and his earnings, but it's just like it's more upfront, isn't it? You yeah, know? <laughs> this was this was more unnecessary for him to do. I tell you who I feel really bad for, though, out of all of this, Michelle McCool, because man, she's in tears, man. She's just like immediately like, oh fuck, here we go again. Like he's he just had such a bad match that there's going to be another fucking two years of this. I can just tell. We heard so little from her and him comparatively mm-hmm. in this episode, yeah. and then you get that one little bit where Taker's like, yeah, the match sucked, but it's kind of my fault. I wasn't there mentally. There was stuff going on with me and Michelle at the time. There was a whole other thing, and he does mm-hmm. that kind of. It's a living look yeah. that Undertaker gives when he's just like not going to go into any detail on it. Mm-hmm. Like so, yeah, I can't help but feel there is a lot more to this story here, and this is now where we get Triple H and Shawn Michaels talking about 
the vicious cycle. And Michelle's like, he's just going to have to go and do another match and he's going to keep doing it. He's never yep. going to stop because he's never going to be happy. And Sean's like, he's like chasing the dragon. And Triple H is like, yes, the dragon which needs to be chased. It's, uh, it's always like a pursuit of the dragon. It's a dragon that needs to be chased. We'll be talking a lot about dragons. Oh, yeah. Uh, there have been uh, many dragons that have tried to lay siege to the kingdom of the Undertaker, but these are some intriguing dragons to chase, Adam. This bit here... And this is slightly spoilerific, but I remember watching the Last Ride series. The, the series will end on a note of being like, oh, maybe I'm done. Maybe I'll get the retirement match that I want. That remains to be seen. But I feel like Undertaker watching it back, this bit here must have had an impact on his decision to retire this year in 2020. Oh, yeah. Because we get we get a series of talking heads here where it's Michelle McCool saying, like, he'll never be satisfied. This could go on forever. We see Edge saying, like, I hope that he realizes when his time comes and he, he decides to take it. We see Shawn Michaels and Triple H saying, like, this guy could do this forever. We get JR. This bit oh, sent chills down. Loved it. Yeah, I mean, this was like... This this undid a shot of brandy pretty much. Yeah. What what a fucking way of putting it where he says here that like Undertaker, you can see it creeping behind his shoulder, it's Father Tam. You know Father Tam, man, he don't do no jobs. He don't lose no matches. And like, yeah, that's a badass soundbite, but also that is a scary thing. And I can't help but think that Undertaker watching it back, this these talking heads one after another, bam, bam, bam. It's like an intervention. All the people almost. he respects the most yeah. as well, isn't it? You know, it has weight to it. Yeah. All saying to him, dude, you need to retire now. There, There is a, one last talking head before it ends, which which just because of the voice of the man who delivers it sounds a lot worse than it is, mm-hmm. okay? Because it's Vince McMahon and he's talking, of course, about like, you know, where you're at. And he's like, you know, there's some times where you're looking in the mirror and it's very hard for some of us to look in the mirror because you're constantly asking yourself, you know, what's going on in your life? There are often times where you think, where am I? And when he said it in his voice, and instead he's like, there's those of us who look in the mirror. And quite frankly, those of us who look in the mirror sometimes have to think, where am I? <laughs> and Vince in that voice going, where am I? Yeah. So long, Padre. Oh. <laughs> am I in the Firefly Funhouse? Is Adam Beer's here? Huskish, if you're here, man. Huskish. I can't get the fog to clear, Adam, quite frankly. Oh, God. Oh, no, let's not end on a dark note. Let's end on The Undertaker going, I feel like I'm spinning out of control. Indifferent shrug. (laughs) (laughs) Well, don't worry, because next time on The Last Ride, we get to see Undertaker grappling with the reality of not wrestling at WrestleMania. We get to see Goldberg nearly kill the man, and we get to see Michelle McCool come to terms with the fact that her husband is old and could die in the ring. Yeah, I can't wait for Goldberg to grapple with the reality of metal. That's really exciting, you know. (laughs) Although, as we've all learned from Ken Shamrock, the strongest part of the head is the forehead, apparently. So, you know, not, not without reason. Adam, felt like we've taken... Another trip on the last ride, and it feels very much like this one. The Undertaker had a lot less to say for himself. We barely heard anything from Taker himself, except for, I think we breezed through it, but that bit where they talk about WrestleMania 25 to 28, that does take up a good chunk of this episode where they're just reminiscing and talking about the good old days. In terms of how he feels, in terms of what's going on at the minute, yeah, we hear very little from Taker in this one. If you were tuned into this episode like I was, hoping to find out how did we go from better than ever to this kind of lad who looks like he's as bad as he was the year prior, Mm. we don't seem to get any indication of why that happens. 
And similarly as well, we don't seem to get any kind of understanding as to the Undertaker's mindset about any of the Saudi dealings and why it came about the way it did. I've just figured it out, actually. It's because he's not... He's, he did, like, what, three or four matches in the space of one year here? Mm. And while he's not as good as he once was, <laughs> he's as good once as he ever was, not four times a year, Kevin. Yeah, well, it depends how many times you're going out in your shield, though, at the end of the day. Thank you for listening to an episode of the Adeshira Podcast. What did you think of The Last Drive Part 3? And as always, if you're listening on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher, make sure you leave us an old rating or review. Hey, you want to follow us on the old social medias? Twitter's the place to start off at AE Podcast. And if you want to help us out massively, leave a rating or review on any of your chosen podcast apps. And you can head on over to facebook.com forward slash podcast where you will find a whole shit ton of video content. We've got clips from old episodes, clips from Patreon stuff, and clips from new episodes. I'm not going to lie, Kevin. I came really close to doing a video of Undertaker's hip surgery just because I want everyone to see how fucking graphic it is. I mean, I think that would be fun. I mean, I, I'm still, I'm, I'm still on the. I mean, you, you didn't do the one of Undertaker delivering a baby. Uh, uh, so. <laughs> These high concept, ridiculous video ideas that you have to to grapple with. If you want to support the Attitude podcast, you can get access to a whole shed load of audio and video content. Over 70 episodes of the Smackdown Crawl, over a dozen episodes of the Bibliotech. I'm talking the Book Report podcast series where we go in-depth on everything from Pete Gas to Triple H telling you how to live your life, and Ryback talking about blood types. We also have as well all of our video episodes, Gamesmanship, Cardsmanship, featuring myself, Adam, and a few episodes featuring Mr. Billy Keeble as well. Q&A episodes featuring all three of us going all the way back to three years ago when we started this fine old thing. And don't forget, there's always bonus goodies coming your way, particularly this time of year where we're at the moment in December. There is the chocolate starfish and the hot dog flavored water, the review that we spent all of our life working towards. It's coming soon to the Patreon page. Don't forget to check out the main feed because there will be some free goodies, a little bit of tasters of the Patreon content. If you like what you see, you want to say happy Christmas or happy holidays to myself, Adam and Billy. For as little as $5, keep this show 100% fan and listener supported. No corporate masters or dealings in Saudi Arabia notwithstanding. (laughs) You support us all directly, and we want to thank you again. Moving on to now our fourth year on Patreon. An absolute banner year 2020 has been. A weird one, not doing what we necessarily thought we would be doing. But in January, we've got some more exciting times ahead of us as we have some episodes with Billy to look forward to. And we're going to continue the last ride as well. Until then, when we head down to look at Goldberg and Undertaker in that big old horrible match, it's a goodbye from me, Kevin. And a bow from me, Adam. And we'll see you next time on the Attitude Era podcast.